Hello, Redacted. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Steven, why is your name Redacted? Well, we're... Oh, I think we can guess. I think we can guess. It's a fun coincidence that... Was it just last episode or the one before that? The one before, maybe. But I, I used a name that one must not utter, and it's lucky we're both alive, so... Dude, it was when you took the name Shia LaBeouf, I almost mm-hmm. freaked out. And then it came out and everyone in the spoilers channel on the Discord was like, oh my god, what the fuck? How does he know? It was it was great. Well, I'm just a, a longtime fan of, of that whole thing. So I'm so, deliberating whether or not to try and run the entire episode without saying the name. But I feel like that might suck some fun out of like talking about it. So we'll see what happens when we get there. Uh, You're welcome yeah. to incur his wrath. I, you know, I'm not going to run the risk. I mean, I hear it's only a 60% chance, so. On the first one. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, okay, well, in that case, uh, what is it that we are doing here? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. This is uh, our podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where you and I discuss Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle. Yes, you can support Alexander Wales writing his awesome uh, stuff over at his Patreon. You can also support us on our Patreon, and we greatly appreciate it. We kick back 15% to Alexander Wales as well. Um, Okay, before we jump right into the analysis that we normally do, let's get some feedback from the audience. Uh, GadBB on the Reddit, even though this is from the Discord, his full name is (laughs) GadBB on the Reddit. Let's just call him GadBB so we don't... um, confuse people says that uh beyond this disinterest from june i think grack is really struggling with the fact that he ran away from an arranged marriage and has been magically pulled into something incredibly similar the companionship isn't quite an arranged marriage but it seems much more binding which is a darn good point we get a lot more info about uh grack's backstory here in this set of chapters and this feedback came from before that but yeah he he was running away from that specific thing and he just got it Except even harder and can't run away from it now because loyalty score. Well, loyalty score and whatever universal magic led to none of Uther's companions ever leaving him. Yeah, I I can see why one would be upset if they got exactly the thing they most hated out of life. Uh, Well, I, I feel like, I mean, this is fun and this is a good observation. I think I read this note before I read this week's chapters. And then, of course, we learned why Grax really such a bummer all the time, and he's got a damned good reason for it. So mm-hmm. the the arranged marriage thing is like, meh. I mean, it's maybe like a, a, a trigger for his real hangups. Yeah. But we'll get there when we get there. So first and foremost, my brother is all caught up. In fact, he's past where we are, and then he said he had stuff so we can get caught up. But uh, when we were talking about Bethel... The name. Apparently, it's also the name of the town where Woods- the Woodstock Festival took place in 1969. I did not realize that. I didn't either. But I am vaguely familiar with what that event was, which basically means that everyone's going to have to get high and fucked up inside Bethel. Yeah. And, uh, oh, so then in order to add some more fuel to the fire of who's the best companion slash teammate slash partner slash whatever, mm-hmm. I put it to my brother. I said, all right, so basically, Mary fuck, kill, uh, the Council of Arches. And he put Mary Solace because she'd be super down to earth plus magic. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> Mary because she's built to my aesthetic ideal and kill the untrustable devil woman or the sourpuss dwarf if or only if someone has to fill the kill slot. Okay. I was about to say, why would you kill anybody? Well, if you're playing Mary Fuck Kill. Right. Yeah. Stupid ru- rules of games. Then he said, or just keep Fen for all three, resurrecting with that time reversal magic. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> nice and so i i had to ask him like hold up a minute you like fen over the rest you know she'll be so vindicated hell yeah 
And he said, uh, not really. That was a joke. I said, okay, so just to be clear, you wouldn't date Finn. And he says, I wouldn't be able to stand her in a long-term relationship or even for a long hangout sesh. I feel like her personality would get old sooner rather than later. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate her as a character. Every party needs an elf archer. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. JK, she's just, she's more than just that. She also sucks June off. Boom. I'm on fire. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And I'd ask him, can I quote this verbatim on the podcast? And he said, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) And for anyone who is not uh, a patron, the notes that Stephen puts on the uh, patrons only feed is often very much like this sort of thing. It's it's good, funny commentary with jokes in it. Um, Although I think your brother is slightly more of a comedian. Challenge accepted, sir. Oh, damn. Okay. Sorry. No, no. This is a good contest. We'll have to find a way to measure this. Yeah. Best pun. Oh, no, no. Best no. joke, please. Please, best <laughs> joke. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all my, my pre-show notes. Uh, in that case, let's get right into <laughs> chapter one of five, which is just regular notes, not even pre-show. Notes. It's almost like I planned that. Chapter 105 is the uh, Mamorless's notes on June and all sorts of just things that she's been taking notes on. And uh, the first one that I pulled out is her notes on tree magic, which still nobody knows what it is. But her notes say, is there a relationship to the salvers from arches regarding like the head trees? But the salvers were invented while on Arab. So how how could they have been in the game before uh, before they played arches uh, in the game, meaning in Arab? Um, and I thought that was a really interesting question. And, like, maybe it's not related to that at all, and that's just a big old coincidence. But, like, on the other hand, maybe the DM uh, had, like, run Arab before or something up to the point of the Arches game, and then they had the game, and he was like, oh, shit, okay, cool, let's incorporate this just to fuck with June, and uh, then, like, restarted it from the beginning. That would be kind of, like, both cool and scary. I don't know. Yeah, I... Um, don't remember what the tree magic was in a Council of Arches game, and some magic involving trees is not uncommon or hard to think about on the spot. Yeah, I think it it was uh, that the the magic user characters had these uh, fairies living in trees that were on their head. Oh, yeah, just the um that was Mary's character. Yes, right. Um, so I don't know when I think tree magic, I think Ents, but I think we had Ents with flower magic or no with uh solace but i mean solace is fuck you magic so um, yeah yeah i don't know i i think it's less likely that the game was run all the way up to this point and then rerun like with this included i if we're going to just go with dm fucking with their brains to make this happen i like the idea of just retroactively inserting it into their memories yeah more like more than that but my my current best guess is just they independently thought of something else vaguely tree magic fitting yeah and yeah, they he could have done that too. There could be some other ways that he inserted things backwards into time. It's I think it's a really interesting idea. It's outside the box. She is definitely high on her own paranoia on this this whole thing, which is great. Yes. Uh, and then the next thing, they they still don't know, or at least uh, Amaryllis, I guess all of them, uh, don't know exactly how the game interface works with the world. One of her hypotheses is that the the DM rolls some dice and then matches the world to fit with the dice rolls, which is literally uh, what happens to um, in tabletop games. And so, seems like the thing most likely to happen here. That that is my hypothesis. I don't know. What, what about you? I think you can simulate 
randomness with something more reliable than just like a give me a range from in increments of five from one to a hundred, right? So like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Dune lines up a shot, takes it, gets a critical hit, and it's a headshot. I I still don't know if the critical hits or you know the, the critical hits or fail critical successes or failures are like pop-up notifications for fun that describe what just happened or if they actually influence what happened i think that they must actually influence it because like that random uh sniper shot he took from the back of a moving motorcycle is basically impossible there's no way that could have just happened, and that's a description of what happened. It's that the DM roll died, there's a small chance for a critical hit, and then, you know, the the thing, the guy on the roof got shot through the heart as a result. Yeah, I mean, what happened, when that, that shot wasn't impossible, it was just hard, right? Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I still don't know which way the, the causal arrow points, because if it really is, like... A one in twenty chance of of having a crit failure or a or a crit success. Again, if they want to, I I'm trying to think of you know any any opportunity that they had where they might want to cheese an opportunity to like just shoot mortar rounds into a fortified fortress and trying to hit the king in the face. And so if they just if each shot counts as you know one die roll, there's a five percent chance that they will win the war in one shot. And we've never had like a critical failure that was so bad that like the gun blew up in his face or something, right? Maybe that's not how bad it needs to be, but your your way makes perfect sense. And that's how tabletop games work. You roll first and then see what happens. But yeah. he hasn't had a lot of critical hits or failures lately. Um, I want to get some more examples. I'm sure there's probably enough evidence there for me to go back and get a stronger guess there, but I don't have it ready to mind, so... I mean, I see your point about the just taking 20 mortar shots, but games generally don't allow for that sort of thing. It's more like you have to be risking yourself in some way in order to to make the attack roll. You couldn't just mortar from a vast distance and hope for the, the 5% shot. Yeah, that's valid. And I mean, this is this is supposed to be like a tabletop game, but just given that like things don't press pause and things aren't happening with people taking turns, right? There are so yeah. many things that also aren't like a tabletop game that... It would make sense if this was just a really accurate simulation. And it would be like if um, if you and I had whatever super smart Google glasses or something and we're playing basketball. And if I got a three point shot, it like flashes across my heads up display like great shot. Right. Mm-hmm. So it could be like that. That that just seems like easier than presumably pausing the game every time June does something interesting when there's any danger or risk of success or failure that matters checking yeah, and then, then rewriting the future to make it fit that outcome. But then it's not a game in any meaningful sense if it's just telling him what he's doing. And also, it's I really do think that some of these things would have been more or less impossible otherwise. Like, just seriously, the, the sniper shot from a moving vehicle is not a thing that could happen. Sure, there's maybe the tiniest chance, but... I mean, I, I just, I keep thinking of um, our, on the Discord, April, that was doing the YouTube video with the guy who cheated in Minecraft and showing how, like, look, this this is literally impossible. There's no way this could happen. Even though it's technically not st- impossible, impossible, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I feel yeah. I don't really know, I guess, because I want this world to matter and June's decisions to make a difference. But if it all is pure chaos... And the future is being rewritten every time he does anything. 
after pressing pause and running a quick calculus to then determine a new outcome. I don't think that like it's pure chaos though, because a lot of games it is based off what you do. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. So I guess not, not pure chaos in the sense of like random meteorites coming down or whatever, but like when Solace dies, he went like she went to go turn and uh you know, whatever put up that group like barrier or something. If June had had a better cunning role there or something, right? Or a higher initiative role, he could have saved her. So like it's it's literally life and death for things that he doesn't get a chance to even try to influence, you know, other than like buying a circlet of increased initiative or something, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I but I see where you're coming from and I'm glad that Amaryllis uh is vindicating your hypothesis. Yeah. I just think that just because it's, you know, somewhat random doesn't mean it's pure chaos. But yeah, I mean, but the real world is somewhat random, too, right? You you do things and you hope for the best. And then you just keep doing things until I find much of the world is very random. And like, that's basically what luck is, right? Just maximizing your chances of getting something good happening to you. Yep. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I, Amaryllis does make a side comment at one point. This is massive headache, sparse information, poor experimental models. And I love that she's trying to science the shit out of, out of her own world with this crazy layer of magic on top of it. Like extra magic beyond, you know, their normal magic. Yeah. Harry thought his mind was blown and Professor McGonagall turned into a cat. And here she is trying to puzzle out her learning her world is basically some simulation run by some capricious you know dick bag who can influence things whenever he wants right yeah uh taking it in stride because that's that's her style because <laughs> she's a badass uh so june uh she says has limits on his personality which makes higher social and men less worthwhile since only game stuff is affected and uh as opposed to like the physical stats will affect his body because it seems to not be limited to how much effect it can have on his body. Although, come to think of it, maybe like there is some limits on just how much it would change his body if he kept dumping all his points in it. I don't know. We we haven't run into that yet. Um, but I, I have some reserve- wasn't wasn't the the abs with like seven feet tall or no? He was just carrying like an eight foot sword, but he have to be pretty tall to be able to carry that thing on his back, right? So yeah. He was some hulking giant. He just put all of his points in fizz. Maybe June could be a giant as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, at some point, it changes your personality a little bit to be that big, right? Well, this will all change. You know, going through hell like this for however many months will also change your personality. Some amount of personality yeah. changes is expected and probably the desired outcome. It's that and, when he ruined his personality by dumping too many points into knowledge, that's when the game was like, all right, hold up a minute. And that is actually exactly why I um, pulled this out that, that, that when you said some personality change is expected because he could, in theory, like put points into Soch and over the next several chapters or whatever, slowly have his personality morph into um, into the higher Soch point personality and it would feel more natural instead of, you know, just having an instant buff like uh, like when he puts points in Fizz like you know, over the next adventure so he could learn social stuff and be a better social person. And his character arc would bend in the direction of of that natural growth um, rather than sudden imposition. Although, you know, that, again, brings up uh, free will questions. Free will here is all super confusing given their circumstance. So I'm kind of just going to set that aside. <laughs> but the, um, I think that if you were to put two, so it's two points into social, he would notice immediately. It would come through like his when he was crazy high on knowledge before the personality recalibration or whatever. That was that was drastic, 
but he's been smarter ever since. And so I think I think that if you were to add points to social, we would see him make fewer f- conversational flubs, pick up on things a little faster, whatever, right? Can I admit something kind of awkward to you that I probably should have said from the very beginning and I just didn't say it because I didn't want to look dumb? By all means. You said that when he had put all his points into men before we had the interruption into the game saying dialing back your personality to what it should be because if you exceed you've exceeded the limits and we're just going to inject knowledge into you now you said that like he was acting very different like like someone who's completely hopped up on modafinil and and just uber robotic almost focused whatever and like i had not noticed that at all and i still don't really quite see it but i'm worried that maybe because of my failures as a person that i'm just you know and you're like, yeah, yeah, June's acting like a normal person, just like I would, even though, you know, that's not how normal people act or something. I don't know. Like, I, I never saw it. And when you mentioned that, I was like, oh, shit, that, that probably was happening. And because I'm this weird human that nobody can, can quite relate to, that's why I didn't see it. I think you're, I don't know what the opposite of typical minding is, but um, yeah. I, I think you're atypical minding yourself too hard there. Uh, I mean... He's been smarter throughout the story, kind of like how Harry gets smarter. You know, it's it's subtle and it and it's um, occasionally he does just know things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there were a couple examples where he even calls it out in parentheticals. I was talking about like the really drastic part, specifically in that in that one chapter where he's in that room alone and upping his knowledge, and then he's doing all this like higher order math to approximate like, okay, well this this would be. Um, the next threshold for these points, et cetera, et cetera, or something, right? He never did math like that before or after the personality recalibration. Mm. So that when I was saying that he's radically different, I'm talking about for that one scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since then, it's felt much more natural. Uh, I just mean, I didn't even, I couldn't even tell during that one scene. I mean, I think go back and skim it and just watch him do math and we'll notice that we've never seen him do math again. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> at least that's one thing. Uh I, I, maybe I'll, maybe I was reading too much into it because I was, uh, I just assumed I'm, that I was going to see something similar like what we saw in his physical, right? I um, mean, I think you're, I think you're probably right because of the fact that the game did say recalibrating personality matrix. I imagine that Alexander Wales was trying to change his personality more, and if I was a better reader or or a less unempathetic person, I could have seen that. We can test this by going back and skimming that chapter again. I think that I, I, I sometimes notice stuff maybe that you might have have blown past because it was exciting and you're reading through it as fast as possible because you want to see what happens. Me, I'm kind of dragging it out because I know that I have to make this last a week, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm pausing really at every chance I get to stop and think about what I'm reading. Yeah. June's personality changes and that's kind of the point of a lot of stories is to watch people's personality change, but then it feels like, is that being imposed by the DM or is that really June doing it? And, and it brings up weird questions about who's really in control. And, and, you know, Amaryllis asks in her notes, is the DM okay with that? Is the rules okay with that? Is June okay with that? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, God damn it. I was just typing notes and all that. And then Amy said it all for me, the next sentence. And I wish I hadn't stopped to take all those notes. I like it when that happens. It just means that you and Amy are vibing. Um, I, I I have that happen all the time when I'm taking notes. I'm like, oh, then they just said the thing I was thinking. It's it's gratifying to have the character on the same page as you. Yeah, okay. I suppose so. Yeah. I also right. like how she asks, like, you know, DM okay with that? Rules okay with that? And then parenthetically, is June okay with that? 
Well, I mean, he is the person that matters the least in this particular analysis. It's true. Yeah, so I, I didn't take out really any notes on Amaryllis' thing until the end. I just did like kind of a, a grab bag. Um, but there's one more thing you wanted to pull out here, I think. Uh, yes, the last one was about the companions that haven't shown up yet, 6 and 7. Um, considering which way June is specced, would those companions be nudged so they're not redundant is a question she asks in her notes. Or would June be nudged uh, so that his spec is not redundant if the com- companions are already chosen? Um, or is that even possible, like the narrative adjusts no matter what? And uh, I was wondering if you had any opinions or quick predictions on what kind of companions we might see. I mean, as far as their builds, I didn't even think of asking it that way until just now. I, I saw that note earlier and threw down just a, like, what kind of companion? And I just shrugged and said, I don't know, a ghost with tits. Like, hmm. uh, they've got an elf, a dwarf, a deer, 2.5 humans in a house. So, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. You know, I'm trying to think, probably not another animal, probably not another domicile, maybe you, not another human. Where are you getting 2.5 humans? Uh, I think I was counting Val as half a human. Isn't that only two humans if you're counting Fen as half a human too? No, Fen's got, I counted Fen as an elf. So I was okay. doing uh, June and Amaryllis as humans, and then Val as half human. Oh, you were counting June. Okay. Oh yeah, I meant the party, not just his companions. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. All right. That's why I was confused. Yeah. Then, um, I don't know. So as far as builds, I mean, I don't think, for example, like their next teammate will be a revision mage. I think if they get that, it's going to have to be the hard way with June getting it. Cause that's mm-hmm. just so overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what weak revision magic look, looks like. Maybe it actually would make sense then for them to get a revision mage rather than June doing it because he would he would get to the really good level really fast. Whereas yes, if they had that- one that was like medium at it. But then again, if you can rewind time, what does it mean to suck at doing that? <laughs> like you can only I rewind don't... it a few seconds. That's plenty in almost yeah. every problem that we have. I I kind of hope it's some corporeal humanoid. Um you know, not not another entad, not another animal. But you're ready to see a human again, huh? Well, it doesn't even have to be a human necessarily. You know, Humanoid. frankly, I want Solace to be a companion. Oh uh, yeah, I don't but think she will be though with the Jew theory already being one. Yeah, she's like a twofer. Yeah, it seems like that's not the case, and yet she's doing a lot more for the group than the deer is right now. So, oh yeah, the only thing the deer did was resurrect Solace, so she can do good stuff for the group again. Right. <laughs> Let's see. And she was talking about kind of the kinds of builds that she was aiming towards with June or something, right? Uh, yes. She has put together a list of like uh, two or three optimal builds for June. And she's thinking about like, how should she present these? Should she like, okay, so she doesn't say very much. She says anchoring plus illusion of choice. Uh, and like, since we know what those are, we know exactly what she's doing. She's thinking about practicing the dark arts on June, like giving him some other options that she obviously doesn't want him to pick and isn't going to pick just to give him, you know, the feeling of choice when he picks what she presents as the obviously better option. And she puts in parentheses, immoral question mark. And there, my, my question to that was like, are, is this, is the dark arts immoral? Are the dark arts immoral? I'm still not entirely sure about that. It does seem to break the um, consent part of informed consent, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, because, yeah, you can't really consent without being fully informed. You can you can, you can, can sign yes on the dotted line, but you don't know what you're signing, then it's not really consenting to it. Yeah. Um, I, in general, I think, yes, it's immoral to manipulate somebody when you know that's what you're doing, especially if you know you're doing it to compel them to do something against what they would have otherwise preferred, right? 
Yeah. Like, is it dark arts to offer your six-year-old a sucker to go get a vaccine? No. I think in general, children are considered exceptions to a lot of ethical rules, though. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because they're developing. You know, like, you, you can present a kid with a choice to make them happy. You know, do you want carrots or peas with dinner? And, like, if you ask them, do you want vegetables or not, they'll say no. But if you give yeah. them a choice between two vegetables, they'll enthusi- they they tend to be happier and pick one, right? <laughs> right. So it's I, it, I don't it, that's not immoral. That's just how to deal with children. Um, so yeah, but what about if it was an adult? Yeah, I I I think that in general, if somebody is cognizant enough to make informed decisions themselves, i.e., not a child or not brain damaged, then mm-hmm. yeah messing with their options to try and make them do something that you want them to do that they don't want to do is messed up. Um, If if these are really optimal builds, she could make a case for it and he could, you know, weigh in on it. His understanding of the mechanics of stuff is probably still better than hers, even though she's spent a long time thinking about this because it's Mm -hmm. still not as long as he's spent thinking about it. Right. He's been doing this shit for years. Yeah. She she had several months in the, um, the time chamber to sit and uh, ruminate all, all this, but just as far as hours thought about how to build characters and stuff, June still got a ton of seniority on her. He could yeah. point out like, Oh no way this would never work. And here's why. Right. Right. But if she tricked him into taking that somehow, plus how's she going to do that? Um, I, I, well, I wonder what sort dark of arts that she just uh, mentioned. Well, yeah, but I'm wondering what sort of dark arts she could possibly employ to then say, okay, so next time you're in there and you get to reroll your stats, do these. Um, well, anchoring and illusion of uh, illusion of choice. Like it's not, it's not like they're magic. You just make someone do the thing, but you know, they're, they're arts that can subtly shift things a little bit. And yeah, people aren't sure if they're immoral because it's still the other person's ultimate choice, even if they were somewhat deceived with these things. I mean, I guess I'm thinking that this isn't like making him decide to whatever, get chocolate instead of vanilla ice cream, right? That is the kind of thing where you can kind of just subtly nudge him. This is the thing where you might try and anchor him on a certain idea. And then when he goes into a meditative trance and is looking at his soul and he's deciding what to do, um, I think he'll probably kind of be in a more Zen position where I think those sorts of, well, they'd probably still help. I guess I'm just wondering how she could, you know, push him into doing anything when she can't, uh, it's, it's, it's completely up to him. Right. But I get, that's kind of the point of what are, you know, with the dark arts here. Um, Yeah. I I guess I'm just, like I said, thinking what specifically could she try if she were to employ dark arts here? Because anchoring an illusion of choice, that's not specific, right? Well, yeah, I guess she didn't say specifically exactly what she was going to do, but we kind of get a general idea. No, I mean, I I get the general idea from like what those words mean, but it's just like with the final exam on methods of rationality, like convince, you know, Voldemort to let him out of the box is not an answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, She's like, okay, can I use these tools? And it's like, I don't know, can you? I'm actually curious. Um, <laughs> I will keep my eyes open to see if I see her pushing him in any certain direction to do stuff to his character sheet. Yeah. Oh, man, it sure is great being able to, you know, tell jokes and get laid all the time. Like, is she going to, like, drop things like that so she can try and get him to dump points into social? Like, that seems is unlikely. She- well, I mean, would she even be wrong if she said that? Like, that's why it's question, is it immoral? And also, like... What if she legit thinks that June is being irrational and risking both her own life, the party's lives, and the entire world because he, like, thinks it's cool to swing swords around when he should be focusing more on being being a bureaucrat or something? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's something to think about. Uh, 
I, I don't. I never thought that the path to him kicking ass was being able to swing a sword real good. I thought it was going to be you know clapping your hands and turning a mountain to dust. So yeah. it's the the path to victory here is magic. Let somebody else do the paperwork. Yeah, I think she she has to understand that. Like you know, yes, could a super super genius come up with a really clever phrasing for this contract? Sure, but when when the enemy decides not to follow the contract anyway, well then you send God in to to slap down their king. And then you you still get what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay, so you had some thoughts too. Yeah, I wanted to just pull out a couple things on this. Um, so I, I went through the whole thing and didn't really take any notes until the end of Am- Amaryllis' section. And she does say she wants to make a character sheet for Solace. And I was like, good luck. Um, I I kind of liked the, the hectic. It's like she's scribbling this in the margin of a book. Um, you know, using shorthands for everything um in, incomplete sentences and stuff i don't know this, this feels like it was 30 minutes of frantic scribbling that she did in a hurry like i imagine that she has like a real kind of like amy santiago style binder of all of her knowledge on this stuff right you know i'm not sure like maybe but if the notes aren't meant to be presented to anyone they're just for her there's no reason not to use a shorthand like j for june or just you know a few words like anchoring plus illusion of choice when when you know immediately when you look at your notes what you meant by that it could be and her and she's got a better memory and and brain than i do but i've frequently been unable to interpret notes i've made Um, (laughs) that's true or or even decipher what i meant from complete sentences that i've seen that i've said right so uh, i don't know i but she's she's better at that than i am um i did like the main thing that i noticed going through all of this is that june was an afterthought for almost all of these like Mm. It's some of it feels like blame, but it's it's not quite that. You know, a lot of them are like, "Oh man, sure it'd be nice if we could ask Volunteer about this." Um, right. And over and over, June June's thoughts are unhelpful. June doesn't know, uh, which is you know just laying out the facts. But it's almost it almost feels like annoyance. I thought that was kind of interesting. And like you said, he's the least important variable in her considerations here. Yeah, um, you know, he all it's just kind of like what sort of. Uh, rocket pack do i strap to this thing to make it go the furthest and mm-hmm. june happens to be the rocket pack here mm-hmm. so yeah i think that was basically it um i the, the main thing i think i talked about at the beginning is just that you know she's trying to figure out stuff as best she can for her having her world completely flipped upside down and i don't know when it really hit for her. you know was it when he predicted what these three entads did was it um watching him just do his first physical level up in front of her. Uh, I, I think it was probably gradual, but at some point it all came together for her. Right. And yeah. there was never a moment where she just collapses into madness, which would be super understandable. Um, right. So anyway, high five on her. Hell yeah. All right. So we get some June's notes after this, and I just picked out a few things here and there that I hopefully can just touch on quickly i don't know but anyways one of the campaigns he ran was called altered chorus and his notes say this was heavily inspired by fine structure which i thought was really neat because we're getting some more uh, rationalist shout outs in these notes um i've actually not read fine structure myself but it's by qntm the same guy who did raw and uh some some other fiction that we are familiar with and that is available on the internet for free for people so that was pretty cool i didn't know that thank you for pulling that out yeah, no worries. Uh, he mentions long stairs and says it's a lot uh, A lot of the setting details and conceits being similar to the SCP works, uh, which I, first of all, I love SCP, so that is cool as fuck. And uh, I, 
I would like to play in that sort of campaign someday. But uh, by coincidence, the very first SCP I read was one about an endless set of stairs heading down into the earth. And so, like, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if he also read that one. And that's where he got the name for the campaign from. A, that's awesome. B, what is SCP? Oh, oh, you are one of today's lucky 10,000. Yeah. Uh, SCP stands for, uh, what is it? Secure Contain Protect, I think. Oh, Um, is that like that thing with like the anti-meme article? Yeah, it has a ton on it, but it's it's basically a wiki, um, and every wiki is an entry for an item which is being uh, contained by the SCP Foundation. And uh, it's like, this is a magic thing we have found on Earth. Here is what it does. Here is how it can possibly you know, hurt people or destroy the world or unravel the entire universe. Uh, here is how it is being contained. And uh, it's, it's an interesting format because a skilled person can like make an entire story out of one uh out of one you know incident report or one item description and it's really cool they're all kind of freaky lovecraftian like creepypasta stuff and there are also like you said uh just plain straight up short stories in there about like anti-memetic things or beings and yeah yeah it's it's like a creepypasta wiki of all sorts of cool things that all supposedly fits together by a men in black type government organization that protects the world by keeping these items secure in a like Indiana Jones type warehouse, except, you know, much bigger than that. Awesome. Yeah, no, I did read the one on the anti-memetic thing. Uh, uh, Zeke pointed that out to me years ago, and I think that's the only one I saw, but now I know what you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Uh, he mentions Laser Fleet, which was like a Star Wars knockoff, but he used refused to use actual Star Wars because he didn't know that much about the expanded universe, and Craig really was into it, and June didn't want to be called out on all his you know little mistakes about it. Dude, writing about anything real, you always run into like the 1% of humans that know a lot about the subject matter because they've spent their lives researching it, or it's their jobs or whatever, and they see every little tiny place where you screwed up, and it kind of sucks. And, like, thankfully, most people are really nice about it, and they realize that authors cannot be subject matter experts um, on things unless they were also, like, in that particular field or had that career. And, you know, they just they just let it go as in, like, yeah, this is this is a thing, convenience for storytelling, as long as it isn't absolutely fucking egregious like what Star Trek Discovery did. Ugh. But, um, but yeah, the, the I still kind of worry that they judge silently, and that is why it was really fucking nerve-wracking trying to write historical fiction. Especially about freaking Rome, which is, like, the most studied empire in the history of empires. I feel like if no one's going to give you shit for, like, you know, they actually, whatever didn't have this ingredient in their gruel that they ate or something like the fact that you got half of it, right. That if they're going to, if they're going to get on your case about not becoming a full on, you know, 15 year study expert on it, eh, screw their judgment. Yeah. But there's even things like just one, maybe small little simple thing. That's pretty obvious that you can just miss sometimes. And then it makes you look so dumb afterwards. And you're like, Oh fuck. Like eh. this didn't, actually happened to me but at one moment i described some some blood as you know kind of the sun glistening off it like as tomato colored and just a few minutes after that i was like nope tomatoes are new world fruit gotta go back and change that because they wouldn't have had them my narrator would not be able to say uh what the hell that make that comparison so you know it's little things that's one i caught but you'd never know if there's one you didn't catch that's like that well, that's a really awesome catch, and it's not the kind of thing I would have noticed. I'm not an expert on whatever uh, the 
history and locations of tomatoes. So like I get, I get why you mean like some, only some people will get it, but I would like to think that if you happen to get something wrong that I happen to know about, I wouldn't be like, this guy's an idiot. I'd be like, I bet you got most of this right. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too charitable. Then again, the easiest way to like find something out online is to go to somewhere, post what you know to be wrong and wait for someone to correct you. Right. Right. Exactly. So it, somebody out there I mean, will, will be a dick and correct you quickly. Uh, yeah. But once it's already in print, that's, it's forever uh, just just out there and people will know. And what can you do about it? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. You're fucked for the rest of your life and everyone knows what an idiot you were. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyways, moving on. Small gods. Uh, all players were really, really weak gods of very minor things. Like Tith was the god of the smell of fresh, fresh baked bed. <laughs> fresh baked bread. And Arthur was the god of stories without endings. Which... Oh my god, man. This god of stories without endings. Way to fucking set Arthur up for, for getting fucked in, in Arab. Whoopsie-daisy like, indeed. Yeah, he didn't know that's what he was doing, but damn it. Yeah, I the only thing... So when I did my notes on these, I think I went through every one of them and did like a quick thought on like, oh, I bet this is the Arab tie-in, or I wonder if this ties to this. But I didn't put any of these in, in these notes. Um but I had to comment on some of yours. Uh, you pulled out Gloom Warden, which I recognize the name now that you pointed it out and said it also a novel by Alexander Wales. Yeah. That's and super exciting. We, yes, it is. It's one that I didn't read, and I'm actually not sure if it got finished. Um, I should Google that, I guess. But uh, yeah, the the that is a thing that Alexander Wales has also written. So shout out to him um, and, and to his awesome stuff. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I, di- I didn't catch that. Like, so... I like the, you know, this is something he gets to write and he's like, yeah, why not throw another stuff I've worked on? You know, if yeah. I, I would nod to all my other shit, if I happen to produce, if I ever make more than one thing, you can bet my second thing will reference the first thing. Yes. Yeah. If uh, I can shoehorn it in, in any way. Uh, it, it does look like it was, uh, it stopped before it reached the very end. Alas. I know. Okay, uh, unless what I'm looking at is really outdated and it got fixed after what I googled up. Anyways, uh, Mon Words and Ever Upwards. Uh, He's looking at some of his uh, perks that he gets. And one of them is from Improvised Weapons 10, Structural Assessment. He says you can hold improvised weapons in such a way that they're three times less likely to break to within one degree of reasonableness. Which jumped out at me because a degree of reasonableness is like something new. And it makes it sound to me less like a computer game and more like a tabletop game because computer games don't really have DMs to determine what's reasonable. Um, although, like, the DM can't be literally watching over him 100% of the time, right? Can he? I, I don't know. But also with the level of tech that the DM has, maybe it's trivial to spin up an AI to determine, you know, if a human would consider this reasonable or not every time he swings a weapon. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Maybe he is just that active in the game. I think that he's watching everything. You know, June watches everything when he's DMing a game, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have every impression that this guy's watching every breath, every step, every thought, right? Um, as far as that's what's a- reasonable, that that's always kind of fun to think about because I, you know, what what does that mean? That it, That is a, a toss-up. And like, you know, c- computer games do that too. You know, if a game has fall damage, um, there's, it's always it's almost always uh, like far higher than what that it would take to cripple a, a human on earth, but they don't yeah. like, they don't want you to be able to jump off a mountain. So they're like, yeah. okay, where do we draw the line? And so they have some degree of reasonableness there. Um, 
I think All you right. did pull out. Uh, yeah, I think Thomic Dodgers later. But speaking of um, reasonableness, oh no, it's yeah, heavy armor twenty Thomic Dodgers. Sorry, yes, yeah, so this is. Um, wait, why is there a different one for Thomic? Oh, Thomic Defense under heavy armor twenty. Just in relation to that improvised weapons one. When wearing heavy armor, add half your skill to any defense rolls made to defend against magical attacks, attacks using magical effects, entad attacks, or attacks using entad effects, even when this is unreasonable. Yeah. So, not sure what to make of those, right? Um, yeah. Just like, all right, yeah, make more defense. And yeah, if it makes no sense, fuck it. Who cares? That's what this perk does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting shit we're getting into about the game layer here. Uh, like Thomic Dodger was one I pulled out where uh, it said eliminates the penalties for dodging magic, etc. And any supplemental physics which would appear magical to the layman. But the layman is capitalized, which I think supports my idea about maybe an AI gets spun up and the AI is called the layman or something that 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 things like, you know, would a typical person think that this looks magical? But maybe I'm reading too much into something being capitalized like that. I mean, I didn't notice that it was capitalized, so you pointed it out. All I could put in the notes was clue, question mark, exclamation point, at sign. Mm. Um, why, why at sign? Just to indicate frantic typing. Okay. Um, oh, and clue was all caps. Uh, I mean, it could be, instead of saying NPCs, you know, it could be, uh, it could be, you're right, maybe some, some judge or some, like you said, spun up one-off that was like, hey, does this make sense? Um you know, uh, the the more levels of like, all right, let's pause the game every time he, you know, again, so someone throws a fireball at him. All right, pause the game. Let's roll a die. Okay, now let's bring in the layman and see if they think this dodge makes sense, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it could be that's how this is working. We wouldn't notice the pauses if our universe was being put on pause every other second. But mm-hmm. it's, I don't think that's how it's working, but it might be. It just, it, it goes against my intuition of how I think a world usually works. But why on earth should I be thinking that, right? So, right. uh, well, in support of this is not a tabletop thing. There's the uh, horticulture green thumb that says he keeps re-rolling on this chart until he gets a good result, uh, or until the roll history suffers from buffer overflow. Which, so first of all, definitely sounds like a video game. But secondly, buffer overflow from rolls in this advanced tech, I I really suspect that's a joke. It's got to be a joke. I forget what the like integer cap is on a double uh like int type but it's in the billions like remember when um i think it was gangnam style that ruined youtube's uh numbering uh and they had to change the um the data the data stru- for- format in which they store the, the number of views mm-hmm. um so yeah I unless he's rolling terribly okay. like four or eight billion times or whatever that number is then i i'm I'm with you. It seems like a joke. Yeah. But Which that's not I a thing that happens on tabletop unless like the, uh, the DM is writing down the results of every role. Which, why would you bother? You look at it and say no and toss it out, right? You don't store that in memory. Yeah. So if you're, if you're tabletopping in real life, you wouldn't write down every role. Someone's trying over and over mm-hmm. and then like your buffer overflow be, I ran out of paper, right? But you may eventually after like two years of rolling be like, okay, Apparently you're cursed. You cannot roll above a five on this D20. Yeah. I I mean, I it almost that... seems like, because, yeah, like, like that's, I'm not saying it's literally impossible to go four billion rolls on a D100 and never get six plus, but 
Um, but I bet your your life and my life on it. Yes, right? exactly. It's it's like that taking a sniper shot from a moving motorcycle thing. Except like four billion times less likely. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. or at least two billion times. I don't know, whatever, right? It's there a billion times yeah, yeah, less yeah. likely. But yep. it it's it's uh it's at least four times less likely. <laughs> it's funny in that it seems like this is a joke about video game. But if, if there really was like a, a buffer overflow on these sorts of things, you would think it would have to have those caveats for everything where it says you're allowed to re-roll. Maybe it yeah. does. I don't know. We'll see more. Usually in games, when you are allowed to re-roll, it allows you to re-roll one time and the second roll always stands. Yeah, that's been my very limited experience as well. Hmm. All so, right. So after this, we move on to Entads and... Um, uh, Bethel telling us about the entads in her that she knows about, and one of them being the Dagger of Dream Speech, where she can enter the dreams of anyone sleeping in the house and either observe what they're dreaming or kill them there, which will leave them comatose. And that made me realize that all this time they've been sleeping in Bethel. Have they been sleeping in Bethel? I mean, like at once we get to the beginning of the next chapter, it's apparent some time has passed and they've been living in her inside of her. She can see all her all their dreams. Yeah, or kill them there. Um which means that she's tested this on sleeping occupants of her house, you know, like she's the worst house ever. <laughs> or she's the best haunted house ever. Best haunted house is not the best house. No, that's, yeah. I mean, unless that's what you're going for. There's one thing to pull out here, which is unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. Before we jump to her notes on her consumed end tads, oh, yes, uh, we get, oh no, it's good. I didn't pull this in the real notes here, but um there's a one line break section here where it's Bethel loyalty too. And it's her, um, what her character bio, right? Yeah. And it does say that, um, Uther returned and began adding entads to it, eventually raising it to a sort of sentience. And after that, despite its objections and pleas, um, which is the reason it's unfortunate is that, uh, this, I haven't seen yet the game layer lie about something. So this is corroborating the, the story that Bethel gave about, you know, Hey, Uther, please stop. Whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah. Which, yeah, we we talked about before is very much a bummer. May have been like a necessary evil. We we still don't know and aren't entirely sure. Yeah, but it doesn't look good on the face of it at all. Doesn't look good. Mm. Uh, she also has an eavesdropping ring that says, "I can understand the speech of anyone I can see, even if I can't hear them." Which the first thing I thought was maybe that's why she was able to uh, speak with Ropey so fast, like. He was spelling out letters faster than June or Grant could recognize them, and she could just basically talk to him in real time. Uh, I also, much more importantly, though, think that maybe this means she could understand the people in the time chamber whenever they were talking and lied about that. And maybe they were very right to be paranoid and only talk inside the uh, inside the glove. Definitely possible. That'd be the kind of bluff I would do if I was her. But yeah. it's hard for me to put myself in her psychopathic not shoes, shoes, right? Right. Um, she did have the ring mail of three wishes. Uh, so what that does is, let me see here. Um, I'm allowed three wishes each day. These wishes can be used in order to undo the effects of an attack launched and only just after the attack has struck. For purposes of this power, attack requires both intent to harm and some measure of success. And so um, it does seem like this only lets you... Uh, Oh, only used to undo the effects of an attack. Okay, yeah, so I only highlighted the name of it when I made my note and forgot to read the rest of it. So I was thinking that she could have wished away the damage she did to the down and out, and that would explain how Captain Crazy Jim or whatever survived, um, Mm. if he did indeed survive, right? Yeah. 
And then I was thinking, nah, more likely she would have like wished for it to hit his tomb orphanage on the way down or something. But I was going to say that does not sound like Bethel at all. She'd probably be like, yeah, die, flesh bag. Right. Yeah. I, it would just, it's, it's a possible use of it. Um, what does sound more like her is her actually using it to kill orphans just because that's seems like much more her style. Um, the, the seer's sword, uh, this entad was added because it allowed the wielder to speak with any entity killed by it. The experiment was a failure. I was able to see dimly the spirits of those I had killed, but I am unable to speak with them or summon them into material existence. Uh, the cause of this failure is unclear, but the site, the spirit site exists as part of my sensorium. And I'm like, okay, so what there's ghosts now too. So how does that work with hell and soul copies or whatever being available for post-mortem bone magic? When I read this, I assumed that it was like an, emulation that the game would run for a little while that would allow that allow the person holding the sword to talk with the emulation and it could just be kind of like a soul trap thing that maybe not even quite an emulation maybe it does like actually copy their soul for a few or something right yeah um, it's that i like that more than like throwing on this other layer of like oh also ghosts um we've already got a hell and we've already got some version of soul stuff that exists with their meat suit staying here and something about their soul not being allowed to cross the plane, but also existing in hell. Mm-hmm. I think if we threw ghosts on top of that. I'd be extra confused without some good explanation. Yeah. Um, the other one was, uh, Oh, the, um, the tome of cat summoning just in one of her notes that she says that uh, attempts to harm or alter the cats cause the cats to disappear. And this is proof positive that she's a monster. <laughs> Maybe it, it was someone inside of her that tried to harm the cat instead of her personally. It's possible. Um, you know, it that that could totally be the case, but I would think that she wouldn't put that in her like formal notes unless she was sure. You know, why did it disappear? Maybe it's only because he hit it with a sword. Maybe if I crushed it with a brick, it wouldn't disappear. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I think she she hurt some kittens for science, and that's not cool. No, that's probably that could have happened. Yes, I, I will not say <laughs> it did, but it's not impossible. Not impossible. And then this was I this know. was something. I, I think oh, she, she, I kind of get the feeling that she really hates humans. Like, there's a lot of people out there, and some who I've met who absolutely despise humans and wouldn't mind doing the Bethel on them, but uh, like really, really care for animals, and like are the most pro animal people I've met, specifically yeah. because animals are innocent and aren't humans. Like, maybe she's the exact opposite. I'm not inclined to humanize her too much just because why on earth would a house care about cats mm-hmm. you know, if, if anything it should care about people mm-hmm. but uh i mean i i know that the kind of people you're talking about and in my experience they're idiots anyone who thinks all people suck like just is just being overly edgy for no i don't know to me no good reason but yeah um i did i, did, I was glad that it pointed this out because in the last chapter or last section it was like, oh yeah, we've got two warders, and apparently she's a warder, and I had no idea how that could possibly work because uh, the warders' tools aren't entads, mm-hmm. right? Because they they they're forged by people who don't go into forge frenzies. This is just part of the practice of becoming a warder. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, well, so she ate those and became a warder. So it's not just an entad closet; it's like a magic item closet, and mm-hmm. th- that's what this says, and I liked that. Um, it also explains how she ate the backpack. Yeah. Because of the same thing. She can eat anything magical. That's right. That's pretty cool. All right. Moving on to actual real content. Uh, The, well, I guess it was all real content. Story Story. related content? Yeah. Yeah. Which feels more weighty to me than than this other stuff. 
I will uh, I will note for posterity that Inyash pulled out way more notes in the notes section than I did. I I was did. dying I'm, to get to. Well, no, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. I had fun and I replied to everything you put, but um, I I think I mentioned on the retro that I was restraining myself, so I had to commit to doing that when I finished, like when I kept reading the chapter. So yeah, that was that was my bad. No, no, it's not a bad at all. I just it's I think it's the only time that's happened. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> you took more notes on something than I did. So damn it. No, no. I mean, if I mean, it's woo-hoo. if it's yeah, exactly. I was gonna say if it's not bad when I do it, then it can't be bad when or it can't be yeah bad when you do it. Yeah, just an, just enough. an important first. Yeah. All right. So chapter one hundred six is the one hand warder, and uh, it starts off with them getting the the Council of Arches getting the Isle of Paran, uh, which is an isle that back in Uther's time, Hal Lund had been a warrior race of bloodlusted men. Uh, who came and smashed the crap out of this island because it had people on it, and they wanted to uh, turn the people into corpses and fuck them. Uh, centuries later, they are now a cornerstone of the Empire of Common Cause, and they use corpses of speci- specially bred animals instead of humanoids, which is, I guess, cool? It shows that even an awful mass-murdering corpse-fucking race can be redeemed and turned into something pro-social? You know, it. this is just more of like, June's got quite the imagination. Um, mm. I, this is like, I mean, I, I don't even know if they were ever really bad. This is just how they worked, right? You know, are the, uh, the baby eating aliens from Three Worlds Collide evil? No, that's just how their shit works. Like, it's wrong and I, it's a bummer, but they're not, they're not, they're not torturing their kids for the fun of torture, right? Right. Um, these are just, they're just doing what they're programmed to do as, as an evolved species. It's, Nature's gross, especially June's nature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now they are in possession of a poor soil with miserable weather far away from everything important, which is, you know, nice because it means no one's going to come bothering them. Uh, and the Council of Arches, the way it's set up is that uh, they have seven seats originally, but uh, when one of them dies or retires, they will not be, uh, the seat will not be filled again. So it's designed to, you know, become it says a vestigial organ eventually it'll just be obsolete and there will be no council ruling the island anymore and i thought that's that's pretty darn cool of them i guess he's i don't know if he's really committed to democracy here because he's a cool dude or he just really doesn't want to get into nation building as part of his game but uh i thought that was a neat touch yeah well, uh, the way i read it was that the council of arches will have special powers over the government of whatever their country will be yeah, which I don't think they've named it dictators. yet. What was that? Uh, basically, benevolent dictators, right? I think something like that. Like, uh, yeah, a a small collective of benevolent dictators. But yeah. um, I think the reason they that it was designed to become a vestigial organ is that like this. No, this will not be an inherited position because we can't trust anyone else with it. What will this nation look like in two hundred years? Like, we have no idea. So let's right. not pretend like we can guess that far ahead, and we'll just make sure that these powers that we're granting to us only last for us. Yeah, let's not have another um, line of pendrags that all kind of suck after Uther. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't like me taking a stance on uh, gun ownership or, or the, the sanity of using a gun for self-defense. But I will say the one of the worst arguments, uh, no matter what side you come down on, is, well, it's in the Second Amendment of the, of the United, U.S. Constitution. I don't care if you're pro-gun or anti-gun. That's a, that's a really stupid position to take. So it, you think that the Constitution should not be um, should not be adhered to? I think that it's when they talked about guns, they weren't talking about what we talk about when we talk about guns. And so like, that's what I meant. Just like when I'm saying who knows what people in 200 years will do with their, with the council of arches power or something. 
like you, you, you can't say, well, look, they said uh, it, it's like. Um, yeah, but you could make the same argument for freedom of speech. They, they had printing presses and uh, and people that can talk really loud in town squares. They uh, they didn't have the Internet. So obviously the freedom of speech shouldn't apply nowadays. I don't want to digress this too hard into a <laughs> constitutional like, am I a constitutionalist or not? I just mm-hmm. think that, well, these guys said it was a good idea. I think that's a shitty reason. Um Especially when they didn't even say what you're saying is a good idea. Like they they were talking about different technologies. Now it right. could still be a good idea. It's just a good idea, independent of whether or not they said it. Kind of like how murdering people is bad. It doesn't matter if it's a commandment or not. Well, I mean, so in that case, you're literally saying that the Constitution is not a thing that should be respected just because it's the Constitution. That there should be other um, other criteria. In general, I think that if you're trying to decide like the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm things like the law mm-hmm. fall very low on my list of things to investigate when I'm trying to decide if this is the right or wrong thing to do. Okay. No, that's fine. I just yeah. wanted to make sure that that is, that is the hill that we were creating. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I don't know. I mean, uh, the constitution also said that I should return slaves that I catch. Right. Like I, right. yes. I mean, I, and I, I, I'm and it not, was changed, but it was, I, again, I'm not, I'm not making a, a huge stance on the constitution stuff in general. I'm just saying that like, the legality of, of insert idea isn't like, you know, so like if I think about, is it morally permissible to take a psychedelic drug? Well, not if I check the law books. So is that the end of my investigation? No, I should think about it longer, right? No, it's morally permissible. It's just not legally permissible. Well, so that that's, that's what I'm, yeah, I guess I'm more thinking in, in like, what ought I to do in moral terms? Not uh, what did some people in, with fun wigs say I should do? So, <laughs> I mean, okay, you know, the Constitution isn't just what some people in fun wigs said. It's also what people have continued to enforce. Like, I guess we, you, you're right. We are way too digressing here. This is a much bigger topic than we can cover in one in one fiction analysis podcast. At me later for my probably even less articulate thoughts on that subject. Um, I did want to pull out that Amaryllis thought that we might be able to provide air with the plastics that it was so sorely lacking by engaging in some hydrocarbon jujitsu and a bunch of complicated processes. Yeah. And I'm not a DM or anything, but I wonder if that's the sort of shit that gets excluded. Um, if you're Ooh. if you're going to be doing chemistry magic, which I realize is that was that was supposed to be kind of a joke, um, to stuff to radically change the planet, that sounds like a lot like I don't know ice magic or glass magic or something, right? Mm-hmm. And or like nuclear or like nuclear weapons is also uh, oh, chemistry right. magic. I was, damn it! I was about to say, well, it's physics magic, but I was about to say, you know, only magic gets excluded. But no, I was wrong. Physics gets excluded too. Crap. Uh, chemists just say that chemistry is applied physics. Okay. Physicists would say you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I know that they everyone picks oh, their I, favorite. I understand. But, you just want to watch the physicists and the chemists in our audience fight, and I am on board with that. And then just to throw it into the ring, biologists would say, well, you know, we're all having these thoughts in our squishy meat brains, and that's biology. So, mm-hmm. all right, y'all have fun ripping each other to pieces. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Amaryllis has refused to install Touchstone on the Isle of Paran, citing security concerns. And I was kind of surprised by that because for some reason, I always thought that the Touchstones were natural phenomenon as opposed to being crafted. But I guess it would be... I don't know. It, it might be crazy to think that just all the capital cities happen to have them. But on the other hand, almost all capital cities happen to have a river, but it's because they were built around the river or around the touchstone. 
but uh, I guess I guess now we see that they are crafted things and not natural creatures. Yeah, that's fun. I, if you'd asked me to guess, you know, are these natural phenomena, are they objects that people can make? Um, whenever I picture the touchstones, I kind of pictured the, um, oh, I forget what they're called. You can use them to, to buff like certain skills or certain XP gains in Skyrim. They might even be called touchstones. Um, and they're carved out of rock. Like somebody clearly made these, but was it the gods or have they always been there? Who knows, right? So mm. I sort of picture them like those things. Uh, but you're right. Like, why would every city? Why would every major city have one? Well, because every major city decided to become a major city next to one of these things. But yeah, it get, it looks like you can make them. I'm guessing they're hard to make. Um, and I wouldn't even know it. It must be hard because you'd have to like register it with a magical network of all teleportation pads everywhere, right? Yeah. So some some something makes it difficult. And also, if it was easy, there'd be they'd be all over the place. People would put them in their kitchen and in their bathroom. Like, I guess there would be a I lot of sense teleporting to your bathroom want... for two hours, but... Well, you don't want to give everyone in the world with a... Well, I guess there aren't that many of them, but you don't want to give all the governments in the world with teleportation stones the ability to just walk into your bathroom at any time. That's a good point. I guess... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. That is interesting. I had two things to pull out on other magic stuff. We finally get explanations on velocity and revision magic. So... Yes. Velocity magic is really fun. To become a velocity mage, you had to move without magical assistance faster than the benchmark and then maintain it for a short period of time. It went up with every velocity mage that was inducted into its ranks. And I thought that was a really cool idea for a bottleneck. So mm-hmm. I think it's like this current speed is like 600 something miles an hour. Um, and I mean, I suppose he could launch himself out of a slingshot or something to do that or put himself in some giant centrifuge. Um so, I mean, this, this doesn't sound impossible, but what's fun to think about is that I'm not sure when revenge, when, when velocity magic started, um, but whatever, like the, the low end speed for it was, was probably not too hard to hit, which means somebody might've hit it by accident. And then yeah. somebody chased after them and also became a velocity mage, et cetera, et cetera, until it was, you know, got into the stupidly high numbers of 600 something. Yeah. Um, and revision magic requires uh, being revised backwards for a year. And I wonder, before you go on to that, I wonder what the minimum for Velocity Magic was. I was really like the very like three first, miles an hour. Right? Was the very first human on Arab that ran be the first Velocity Mage? And like then the first one to fall off their house was, you know, <laughs> became a Velocity yeah. Mage on accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, first person to skydive or like to cliff dive and gain some actual speed. Yeah. But what, that's just, that makes it so fun because that puts a, a theoretic, theoretically really hard limit on the number of velocity mages that could ever exist. Yes. Um, it went up with every velocity mage inducted into its ranks. I wonder if that means current velocity mages or ever. Uh, I'm assuming ever. I would too. So I don't know. I'm not sure if it goes up by, you know, half of a mile per hour or um, what, you know, a, if it's just like whatever, uh, the smallest measurable increment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's, if it's a full, I, I, it, it could place it could make velocity mages extremely rare and those are the ones that can touch things make a move right uh no velocity mages are the ones that can move really really fast oh they're just like the flash yeah okay that makes sense uh gold mages could touch things and make a move yes okay and still mages can touch things and make them stop yes nice and revision mages can rewind time and maybe do other stuff but uh, 
at least so we get the explanation that we've all been wanting for ages, which is like, why isn't he doing this? And I'm assuming Amaryllis pointed this out to him back way back in the day, but he didn't point it out to us that like, no, you need to be rewound. You need to have be rewound by a time by a revision mage who will spend a year doing it for a whole year. Um, so a, you're losing a year. That doesn't sound so bad. Cause you can just take like a, you know, a nap overnight in the time chamber. Right. Um, but, um, I mean, I guess he would still have to live out a full year in the time chamber though. I thought they they would just reverse him a year. Yeah, but for your first, you'd have to live that full year. That would be a really fucking boring year. Oh, yeah. No, I figured this would be a good case for using the sedation and, like, the, the super comfortable blanket. Oh, the super sedation. Power. Yeah. Okay. Then, then, yeah, maybe. And also, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I was the DM, I might say something like, you can't use the time chamber. But who knows if that's how it actually works. Well, then you'd still have to. I'm not sure if a velocity mage would be willing to sit down with him for a year in the time chamber and reverse it, right? Uh, right. But at least it gives a really, really good explanation for why this is rare. So yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I had to pull those out because I was curious about both of those. So that's cool. Yeah. So moving on to character stuff at last, <laughs> Valencia, um, they're talking about how Valencia has been improving recently. And June says, I would also attribute that to the, her, a lot of her improvements to George and then parentheses, bleh, working with her. And like, oh my God, dude. Oh my God. You know, she... She was so into you. You you could have had that. My my note here says, if you liked it, then you should have put a dick in it. Because he could have had her as well, and he pushed her away. And now he's like, oh, but I'm still jealous. She shouldn't be dating anybody else. She should stay single. And it's it's really annoying. And maybe, maybe I'm being a little selfish here. Maybe, you know, even if you... Even if you understand that you're monogamous and other people have a right to date others, you can still kind of feel a little bit twinge of jealousy or whatever and admit that in your personal novel diary, whatever, to humanize you. But man, I was like, what the fuck, man? If I was June, I would put the bleh and I'd put a nested parenthetical that said, yes, I know this is a stupid thought, but that's just how my brain worked. Like he's done that before, right? That's true. He did that for much dumber things than this, where this one really actually deserved it. Yeah, he should have been like, yes, I, sh- I realize that jealousy here makes no fucking sense. Um, mm. Maybe there's a more charitable read, but I didn't find it. So, And neither did you. So I'm going to go ahead and say definitively there is not a more charitable read. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. The uh, <laughs> I like this thing, the note they had that uh, Magic didn't interact with Valencia at all unless it would also interact with, say, a sack of potatoes, which is why we called it the sack of potatoes rule. Just I love it. Not a very flattering rule. Yeah, but it... it, it tells you exactly what it is and it's easy to remember so it's a good rule that way it gets the job done yeah. uh so then they're talking about uh well let's go let's go get the cursed items from the um the chamber that we left them in and they were june's thinking that Arab did have cursed items like i had Arab did cursed items like i had done cursed items they weren't cursed exactly but they had some built-in drawbacks to them that made them dangerous or awkward to use and there's a good chance you'd end up getting you'd end up hoisted by your own petard Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I do enjoy a good petard hoisting. I think that plenty of cursed items can still be worth the drawback. Like, like I said, if it's a, you take twice as much damage, but you deal four times as much damage. Um, yeah. That, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, well, that's a cost benefit analysis I'm willing to, to consider, right? I it's not just like when you're wearing this armor, you move three times as slow and it's regular armor, right? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It's just, um, in the games that I was more familiar with, the cursed items were just bad. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but because Val is a sack of potatoes for all intents and purposes, um, 
some of the drawbacks won't affect her. So. That's exactly right. And that is why they're going over a whole bunch of cursed items here. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, they, they are going back for all those cursed items. He is going back. Uh, he asks if there anyone like to bring him company. Grack, uh, he asks him, would you like to come with me? And Grack stares at him and says, why? And I thought that was a bit unfair of Grack to do that because all this time he's been talking about like how he would like to have June's attention and uh, June should involve him more. And then the second June actually does that, he's like, what are you planning? I'm suspicious of you. I, I, I don't like this. Yeah. What, or even if it's like suspicion or just like, why would you want me to come? Like me? Yeah. I don't know. So don't get me wrong. Uh, we learned a lot about crack that explains some of his kind of reluctance with relationships or whatever. And probably June in particular, but like, you know, for all the people who are like June should be trying harder to be Grack's friend. And it's like, this is the kind of re- result you get when you ask crack to be friends or, Hey, Grack, I'm going to go out for coffee. You want anything? Why would you offer to get me coffee? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not gonna ask you again tomorrow then dick bag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, Grack makes himself hard to become friends with. Yeah. Um, Grack is, uh, but, but we kind of understand more why later, I guess. Anyways, Grack was a clone of his father. And it says that in the case of Grack and his father, this clonage was a bit of a toxic relationship that his father was trying to mold his son into a better version of himself and overcorrecting for all the perceived faults in your own upbringing. Uh, that probably tended to make the thing toxic. And I just wanted to pull that out because I literally would like to make a clone of myself and try to see if I can raise myself better than my parents raised me. And I'm not sure I like being called out like this by Alexander Wales saying, well, that could probably lead for a toxic relationship. And I'm like, damn it. I, I'm, you know what? Thank you, Alexander Wales, for pointing that out because fiction often makes good cautionary tales. And now I will try to keep that in mind and not do that to my son. I reminded of Dumbledore's admonishment that it would take a man exceedingly wise or, ex- or exceedingly proud or exceedingly vain to wish that his heirs be like himself rather than like who he wished he could be. Yes. Uh, that doesn't exactly give you an instruction book on how to raise your clones, but it's in that vein. <laughs> yeah. Grack is uh, telling, telling his backstory here. And one of the things he says is that he staked his shovel into the pile, which is a dwarf idiom. And I just wanted to point that out because uh, I love idioms. They are good world building and uh, and they're fun. Did you ever watch Archer? Of course I watched Archer. See, Archer's humor is very pun based. So I wasn't sure if you would like have turned it off in disgust or if you would have enjoyed it. Um, so there's some puns, but overall, it's just a bunch of good jokes. This might just be one of those things where I think that we're talking about where we're, this this is a might be a good like sub post for uh, categories are made for the man, not man for the categories. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But there was one where I think it might've been the one where like the three, where he's like a pirate King or something, but mm-hmm. they keep saying things and it's like the people don't want to get it. And he's like, it's an idiom. And they keep having to yell that at people. Mm-hmm. That's all I could think of here. That was I... worth the 60 second digression. It, it was. <laughs> Uh, and then the, he tells about the situation that we heard about much earlier in the story about where he had the experimental coitus and he has sex with like this, this species, which, um, needs sex. Like, you know, I guess like humans need sex, I would say, but, uh, but maybe, uh, yeah, well, I don't know. It sounds exactly like humans need sex to me, but maybe 
there's some asexual people out there who would say it's more like how humans need food and like, okay, fine, whatever. But yeah, it's, it's eventually they, they can't really focus or concentrate on anything else. It just takes over all their mind. And, uh, so Greg helps them out with that. And, uh, cause dwarves don't have that, but they still find it pleasurable when they do have sex. And I, I, Greg I have says, to. I have to interrupt. Sorry. So I I don't think that sex is that all consuming with us. Like this guy was like, oh my God, I'm really jonesing. I need this fix. My mind is all fucked up. And then he's better for a while. Like, I don't know about you, but I I can, I can be, you know, I can get that mind cloud. Like, holy shit. I need, I really want, you know, sexual release. But then two hours later, I'm like, I want to go again. Right. It's not like I'm just good again for like two weeks or something. But we get laid regularly. Of course, of course, yes. Uh, we're we're all I mean, very, you know, we're, we're we're sexual champions who are constantly getting laid. <laughs> I'm not trying to imply that we are big cats or something, but we we have some access to the pussy. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> um, and like, I just do you remember being a horny teenager and not getting any dates and being like just going crazy? Yeah, I just think that even if I'd had sex in those times, like a few hours later, I'd, I guess I, I don't know. I, I I pictured this more as a compulsive, like, holy shit, this is actually ruining my life kind of thing. And not just like a, that sure would be nice. I pictured it more like hunger than yeah. like our version of horny, right? I, I think that if you don't have sex for long enough, it turns into that sort of thing. Like maybe they have a shorter time scale, but like you don't have sex for a number of months, man. It starts getting really bad and taking up all of your mental energy now mm, maybe uh now That's i sound just, like a player and say me. i'm not i i'll have to uh, i i i don't know uh, so. <laughs> you've never since puberty gone months without sex no that's the thing is i definitely have but like it didn't it, it wasn't that bad on me but maybe it would be if i if i did that now i have no idea mm-hmm. anyway fun oh. stuff uh, speaking Indeed. of fun stuff, Grack didn't have, well, he, he had fun, but he, he thought it would be more than that. He thought he liked me. Yeah, he got a deeper emotional connection out of that, and that guy didn't. It was, you know, like like when a human eats. After you're done eating, you're not hungry anymore. And, you know, he didn't avoid him, but uh, but he didn't, like, care about him intimately, like you don't care about your sandwich intimately. <laughs> and um, I like to think the guy just, like, came, high-fived him, and said, thanks, bro, and then just left, you know? Yeah, right? Thanks for spotting me. See you, right. uh, see you next week for another set. Yeah. But I, you know, I just, that kind of sucks because it's just how they are. There's nothing that could have been done differently. And, and like, it would have been better if they knew more about each other's species so that this wouldn't have become an issue in the first place. But short of a whole lot of cultural exchange before this went down, this was just an unavoidable, like, whacking, walking into a wall thing. And, those sort of things always suck in real life when they happen. Yeah, I think communication should have been more key. And like you said, it would have taken a good deal of cultural exchange or whatever. But right, like, you both just assume the other people are like you. They're both humanoids. You can't be that different, right? Well, maybe, you know, Grack was fairly naive with how other people work. So that makes sense for Grack's position. The other guy, it's not clear. He was the one who was like well-traveled, right? Uh, uh, yeah. So I, mean, I would like to think that he understood that not, you know, Casual sex might not be a thing among everybody or something, right? Or if it is, it needs to be discussed first. Um, I don't know. Like, if I were to have, if 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 there were other humanoids, you know, non-human humanoids on Earth, and I was going to have sex with one, I think I'd have a good long conversation with them first about, okay, well, these are my expectations. What are your expectations about it, right? Um, I, I would do that with another human if I was in the, 
you know, maybe with, it would take less time because we would understand each other uh, more quickly, but um, gauging each other's expectations for what do you, what are you looking to get out of tonight? Like, I think that's just politeness, but they, they would have had a lot, a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Like I was saying, I agree. Basically. I just think that it's entirely possible that the cultures are so different. that didn't quite occur to them at the time that this yeah. was even like a possibility and a thing that they would have to do. Seems silly though. Just, you know, I don't, for all I know it, there's, there's races on air, but that when you have sex with them, they're like soul bound to you. And if they ever get more than 60 feet from you, you'll both die. Right. Oh, damn. Like, I mean, or you'll both be in physical agony. Like, that sounds easy enough to imagine. Um, it does actually. Yeah. Then again, maybe, uh, Nadi was the guy that crack boned or got boned by or whatever hooked up with, um, mm-hmm. touched bus with, we can just say, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, maybe he knew that wasn't a risk with dwarfs. I don't know, but still, uh, so, yeah, that was, that oh, no, was tragic. Sucks. Uh, Dean Ding. was the, was the, whatever the horny guy. And the naughty was the other friend. Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't mark much of this down or, or commit too much of its memory. Cause the, the broad strokes we already kind of knew and we get more important revelations later. So yeah. Yeah. Well, let me um, hit the other thing here about this whole tragic story. Um, yeah. Ding, uh, you know, later on gets Tony again and uh, Natty had positioned herself to be alone with him, offered herself to him. And the same thing happened, even though this was like after the Greg thing and she knew all that. And Greg says, I do not know what she was thinking. I also like, were you not paying attention, Natty? What the fuck? His species cannot give you what you want. And so I'm like now just really annoyed with Natty. <laughs> I mean, she there. I think they were young. I don't know what their you know level of exposure was. It could be like, well, sure. It wasn't like that with crack because that was just, you know, a bro job. Right. Um, <laughs> but right. May, maybe with me, it'll spark true love or something. So I can kind of get where she's coming from. But again, this is the sort of thing where she should have talked with him first and be like, Hey, you know, I would like to do this a lot. I'd also like to like have our relationship go to another level. And the guy's like another level relationship. No, nah, I'm just looking to get, you know, my, my needs met. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, this could have been a conversation, man. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Greg also says that after this, he has trouble having relationships with dwarves because, uh, he liked the feeling of a need that he got from ding. Uh, and it's not something a dwarf could provide or not mm. a traditional dwarf at least. And I, yeah, I just wanted to high five crack on that feeling needed in, in, in any way, but particularly in a sexually desirable way is one of the best feelings ever. So I totally get why he would not want to be with a dwarf after that. All right. Confession time. Yeah. In college, I learned, I think it, it must've been after graduation. So I must've gone back to campus at some point and bumped into one person from like my community style study group. Mm-hmm. And apparently her friend that like would sit next to me once in a while in one of the classes according to her she's like oh she really wanted to fuck you like the whole year did you not pick up on that and i'm like no i didn't and i'm still so flattered by that like almost 10 years later that i still remember that right yeah that's awesome yeah so yes feeling feeling sexually desired is is tight yeah um but the the sex stuff aside we we move into the the heavy stuff crack finally reveals why he's collecting a penance for his clan and why he feels oh like he's God. done something wrong. Yeah. And so the, you know, the version that we had before was like, okay, you went off to Warden College, came back and bailed on an arranged marriage. And for some reason, you feel so bad about that, that you're going to go get a thousand pounds of gold, which is a stupid amount of money. Again, we, we joked about like, how the hell are we even planning on carrying that back? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just 
pushing a wheelbarrow across the plane, hoping no one robs you. But um, anyway, so it, what actually ended up happening was that uh, he, after he left, they hired, I guess for some reason they contracted to a really shitty warder. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't shell out for the good ones when literally your air counted on it, but I guess Maybe they, were, they spent all their money getting cracked through Warder College. It's possible. And one way or another, maybe this guy said he was qualified and he wasn't. But um, anyway, they, they used processes that were dangerous for air filtration. And when the ward failed because they hired an inept guy, the air fouled quickly. And June says, oh, your father? Grack says, everyone. And June says, oh, shit. And I just put my notes, shit, indeed. Um, Yeah. I just like, everyone died. And uh, as Grack says. um, Literally everyone. Yeah. 2,346. Everyone! And June says, whatever mistake happened, you do not owe them your life. And he says, I do. And I'm just like, oh, damn. Okay, this this paints uh, Grack in a whole new context, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, no wonder he's all gloomy all the time. The fact that he has much fun as he does is mind blowing. Um, yeah. I think he takes first place for most tragic backstory. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I Al mean, had it rough, been, but yep. you know, it, uh, Fen had to deal with racists, but she didn't kill her, her entire extended family. Yeah. Um, Everyone so, who loved with her and her entire, like, yeah. Just, oh my God. So yeah, that's that's intense. I mean, he he shirked a duty, and his clan literally all of them died. Um, you know, on a side note, I kind of wonder if one made it out and will seek vengeance. That would be a fun side story. Um, that would be awesome. Uh, I will, and as I'm reading this, I wanted to give, give Grack a hug, and then I was really happy when June did because Grack breaks breaks down sobbing, and mm-hmm. June goes over and you know hugs him, pats him on the back, and they they you know cry it out and hug it out for a while, and it's awesome. Um, yeah. It also speaks magnitudes about Grack's strength of character that he's got this much tragedy in life and yet he can still make friends and he still cares enough to try and stop his friends from making painful emotional mistakes like he went through. Like you would think, Oh yeah, my awkward, you know, my, my, my uncomfortable sexual miscommunications in college, you know, you think that wouldn't even register on his radar anymore compared to like what he's gone through since. Mm. And maybe, you know, he's probably over all of that emotionally himself, but he's, just he's he's able to see that yeah that did hurt and even though you know that's like the time i got a splinter and you know i've since been you know had every bone in my body shattered over and over um yeah i still don't want my friends to get splinters like the guy is still full of care and that's awesome Mm -hmm. yeah grack is i before i I thought he was cool and all but like after this he he doesn't quite get to my favorite character due to you know fen still being my favorite but like I feel for him so much now. I don't know. I don't have much else to say about it. No, it's I also intense. like, I find it to be, I know that I just said this, this whole thing about their relationship. I feel like their relationship, uh, the three, the three, some that he had, not three, some, but you know, the triangle, um, was sort of a precursor, a foreshadowing story to this, because that was one of those things where just based on who everyone is, both as a species and a person, there was no other way that really could have worked out. It's just a shitty fact of 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 life and of reality. And Grack's story is the exact same way, basically. He who he was as a person meant that he couldn't stay with his with his um 
plan anymore. There's no other reasonable way this could have possibly resolved aside from him just like being tortured and living a hollow, empty life for his entire life. And so he, he has to leave and it's the right thing to do, but then his clan dies. And it's, I mean, that's literally what the definition of a, of a tragedy is, right? When everyone does the right, reasonable thing and the consequences are just absolutely awful, in, not in spite of it, but even because of it. And there's nothing you could have or would have done differently. So it was doomed to always be this way from the very start. Like, even if you reran the tape from the beginning, it would have to end this way. And that's, that's like sort of beautiful, I think, in one way. I, I like reading those sorts of stories, but also, as I guess I feel like a record now saying a, a tragic thing. So, yeah, feel bad. Yeah, totally. You know, I wonder if he hadn't experimented sexually in college, if he would have been more on board with the arranged marriage. Like he, he said that he, he enjoyed feeling wanted, you know, in the bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. And he knew that he wasn't going to get that from a dwarf. And so maybe that's why he left that. So like his admonishment to June and Fen, like, hey, by the way, don't fuck around and ruin the party dynamic. Because when I did it, it oh. killed everyone I ever knew. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's maybe that's part of why he bailed in the arranged marriage. And if he hadn't had experience that, he wouldn't have wanted to not have the marriage. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Sad stuff. Yeah. You pulled out the same quote that I did about June's sort of reaction to that. Yeah, um, June said that I always thought his flat reaction was just dwarven stubbornness in the face of injury, a gruff, manly response to getting hurt. That was sort of how I had seen him in general, a man unaffected by the world, stoic in the face of adversity. I, it hadn't really occurred to me that he was depressed and wanting to die. Yeah, that's. I think my comment on that was, same dude. Um, I thought that, you know, I picture him basically like a, a somewhere between Gimli and Drax, right? Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, of course, he'll lose a hand and oh, oh, lost my hand, whatever. Let's power on mm-hmm. with this, right? But, yeah. you know, he's part of him is probably like, fuck yeah, I hope this bleeds out, right? Right. Uh, Maybe this is my chance to finally not have to not have to feel this way all the time anymore. Yeah. I it definitely join my people. Yeah. It also really puts the, uh, why he didn't, I mean, when you're, when you're soul raped, you obviously don't mind being soul raped after the fact, but, mm-hmm. uh, or I guess while under the influence of it, but mm-hmm. even afterwards he was pissed and because he had a new purpose in life. Right. Yeah. And yeah, he was no longer just waiting to die. Yeah. And June, thinks about, but doesn't go as far as telling Grack that he had tried to kill himself before. Um, and like, cause he's like, I, you know, when I hit rock bottom, you know, I, I wanted to relay that to him, but I didn't want it to sound like I was, you know, a trying to seek comfort or like redirect attention or trying yeah. to do the one up game or whatever. So he just, he doesn't yeah. say it, but I was just like, well, damn dude, this, you know, the last chapter is all high fives and smiles. And <laughs> so it's such a bummer. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of a drag. Uh, I but I mean, I'm really glad we got it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But this re- is just, re- uh, yeah. Rereading the story uh, with this new information about Grack from the very beginning, it was it was a little bit different experience. And especially the Follicher stuff, because I did not understand when I first read it how Grack could be upset that he had been un-mind raped. Uh, and, and like now knowing that he was just just living, you know, black despair and waiting, you know, maybe today I'll die. I don't know. Guess not. And like just having that taken away and having a purpose again, even if the purpose was Sir Falater, I can see why he would be upset that that was taken away. It also kind of explains why 
when Amaryllis was like, all right, guys, we're going to, you know, go do some nation building for a while. And Grack is like, hold on, you know, I'm not getting paid enough. Like, let's let's do this. You know, let's renegotiate. And he capitulates after she says, look, we'll go kill a fucking dragon. OK, yeah. Um, so that it, that explains where he's coming from there. Right. Yeah. Because even after they had resolved their dispute there about his pay rate, um, I still know I still didn't feel like it adequately explained why he suddenly like changed his mind on how much he cared about it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then when she's like, you know, we can go do suicidal stuff. And he's like, oh, oh, yeah. OK, now I'm back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good to me. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, I did want to pull this out. So he gets an update on the All the Glitters quest. Go with Crackwheel lead braids to the mausoleum of Darili Idrid when he's amassed 1,000 pounds of gold. You're the only one who can help him make peace. Uh, he says that, June says, I stayed quiet. I wasn't actually sure the quest was accurate since they'd been inaccurate before. And I was trying to think, when were they inaccurate before? I think like maybe at the very beginning it was something like you will have to find a way to breach the walls of Silmar city or something. I remember that. It. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, cause that was the first example that came to my mind, but it wasn't so much inaccurate as it was, um, incomplete. Maybe I'd have to go, I could go check. Cause I'm no, curious. I agree with you. I think he's grasping at straws. Yeah. And I think he's also like his part of his thinking there that I didn't pull out was like, what me, the guy who sucks at social stuff. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I figured that probably wasn't it. Or that was like his real motivation is like, oh, I don't want to be like, you know, his emotional support guy. Um, I'm not equipped for it. And he's probably partly right. Yeah, here we go. Quest progress out of the frying pan. The main gates into Silmar City are blocked and you lack the the capability to breach them. Find a secret entrance in order to get inside. And then they find the sewers. And it says the sewers are relatively unguarded. And that was true. They had one monster in there to fight. So (laughs) Uh, it was just a very, very long lasting effect from that one monster. Yeah, I forgot that's such a driving force for so long. How fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, they finished throwing it out, and I really enjoyed, like I said, that relationship moment. Like, good character moments for both of them. Um, but they tele- back, teleport back to their crappy little island with their glove full of cursed items. They, they're they discussing, like, how is it that uh, you happen to have this uh, character companion who can use cursed items without any of the negative drawbacks. And I have so many cursed items. It seems like a, a bit of a coincidence that like the one house in the world uh, that has this massive collection of cursed items also happens to be one of your companions that works so perfectly with a companion you just got earlier. And, um, and Bethel's like, so when she learns about the DM and how they're thinking the DM is, you know, behind this, so-called coincidence she's like so the thought is that a powerful entity sent people to their deaths inside of me because he foresaw that i would lot elect not to take those items and you would come to me and i would choose not to kill you and that valencia would be both present in this party and live through the altercation at headwater and just all these things and like i think what she's pointing out is like the DM said basically, oh, you know, I just nudge things. I changed the weather here. I paid off, you know, a bunch of people there. But this does sound like more than just nudges. It, it This kind of sounds like he's an all-powerful being who's doing quite a bit of direct interference here to line up everything, which is, you know, really easy if you're a DM because you're telling the story on the fly. But less of a thing if you're, like, trying to look ahead and do things with nudges years in advance or decades in advance or hundreds of years in advance. Yeah. I mean, if you're DMing, you can just say, oh, yeah, and in the treasure pile, you found this thing, right? Right. But Bethel's got an account going back centuries of how the thing came to be there. 
Yeah. And so it's not like it wasn't added to the pile after the fact, unless it was like Amaryllis points out, but mm-hmm. um, it's, so this, this is like the question is like the DM doing this like regular style or is he just like full on omniscient? Although if that's the case and he's seen past, present and future, you know, a la God, like what the hell's the point of this? So what, like, what do you mean? What the hell is the point? Why is he doing it to them or? Well, yeah. Hey, June, I want you to go fix Arab. It, it wouldn't even be fun to watch if you already knew everything, right? Well, are you having fun watching this? Like we're literally watching it as the reader. Well, we are. Yeah, but we we aren't uh, we aren't in the the position of the DM. If if like the DM did know everything about how this is all going to shake out, right? Um, I suppose like he's still probably doing it for fun. Maybe he's doing it for an actual audience. Like, if it's for an audience, that kind of makes sense. You know, like if I if I play a video game more than once, I play a little differently the second time. Maybe he's doing that. Like maybe he's Twitch streaming or something. <laughs> <laughs> The thing, since this is such a meta story, it does every now and then remind me that we are literally reading a story, right? And he's creating the story that June's writing for us, or relaying to us in his his version of the story. I guess I don't know if if the DM can see the future or not. Like when he goes to June, assuming that whole interaction went as reported, and said, "I want you to fix Arab." Is that because you know this was always in the script and this this is your part? Get in there, or? Is he really just like, I wonder what'll happen if I grab this kid and see if he can do it? I mean, if he's literally all powerful, he doesn't need to be omniscient. Like when he rewound time for June or revised him or whatever while they were talking, like he can just do that at any time and insert things into the past if he if he is completely all powerful and like the real present reality will snap to to adjust for it, right? Like in every single time travel movie ever. Yeah. I mean omniscience or excuse me, omnipotence implies omniscience. Right. If you have if you have the power to do whatever, it means that you know what you're doing and you you can do whatever your thing is. So, you know what needs doing exactly how to do it to accomplish your goal. So, like he knew that changing June's brain chemistry a, a smidge is what it would take to make him merely pissed and not homicidal. That's a, yes. You have a good point. But it's I don't know. We'll put that on hold. We'll meet the DM eventually where I'm more curious to I, I want to keep on so I can keep reading basically. So. Mm-hmm. We left on a cliffhanger, Inyash. You left me hanging. Oh, okay. So, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just mean at the end of the last reading section. I, oh. I, I think I might have been never tempted more to read ahead than the last section. It could have also been because it was the first reading after the retro. But no, it was a great cliffhanger. So yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, Valencia. Oh, there's this quick thing where Fen says, "If um, you're not going to be able to prick her at all," because Valencia says, "If you prick, prick me, do I not bleed?" Which is interesting. I guess she's familiar. Either she's familiar with Shakespeare, or they have the same thing on Arab. That uh, same saying. No doubt, uh, Arthur ripped off a bunch of Shakespeare too. That's true. He probably did. Yeah, because <laughs> she's, she she said she does not want to read things other than Harry Potter because there's nothing can compete with Harry Potter. But uh, yeah, Finn says you can't prick her. She's going to dodge out of the way and then break your arm in two places. And Valencia says, I said I was sorry, <laughs> which is great because now that's just a great way to introduce, you know, what happened to, to between Finn and Valencia earlier. Um, and then... <laughs> Uh, Amrose points out that after she says, hey, no big deal. Amrose says, you swore a lot and you said you were going to break her arm in sleep. And Fen says, I say a lot of things. Just <laughs> <laughs> just great typical uh, Fen line. And I, I love those. Classic Fen. I do like how it's like 
there was a bit of a time jump between last chapter and this chapter, which made it a good time to do a retro episode. Yeah. I'm guessing some, at least some days. And uh, in that, you know, it's not on camera, but it's, it's talked about after like, oh yeah, they, uh, they've been having sparring sessions and apparently Val is crushing it. And mm-hmm. uh, to the point where she's accidentally breaking arms in multiple places. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, Fen's ever managed to hurt her or something. So uh, there was like a line about, June was like impressed that she kept sticking with it. Cause you know, she usually gave up and things got hard. Um, and then he thinks probably because of the elvish, you know, propensity towards perfection or whatever. And I'm like, I think she's just lazy, yeah. but, um, could be a bit of both. Yeah. I mean, pr- probably one feeds into the other. If you aren't perfect at something like, cause you're, and you're surrounded by elves, then doing it is going to be just absolutely awful for you psychologically. And, and that can feed into a feeling of helplessness and turn into laziness and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Goes. Um, but Finn says, I'm kind of over this existential stuff. Bible study helped a lot with that. I have no idea what the hell she means about that because Bible study never helped me with any existential shit. And the only way I could see it helping is if you now believed in a Christian God and that you're going to heaven afterwards. And I don't think she does. So, I'm not sure what the hell she meant. Did she maybe mean she's just so tired about all the existential thinking that I don't know. Anything? That could be part of it. Maybe it's like, you know, I, I read what I was told was earth's best stab at answering these questions and realized it was a load of shit. And so if, if that me if that's the result of, you know, your planet's best effort to answer existential problems, then clearly there's nothing I could do to, you know, further this. I'm not going to waste my time on it. Um, yeah. That's, the unless she's being funny that's the only thing i could think of um and it's a bummer because you know she read like the bible and not some you know at the very least ancient philosophy right uh, right i'm not saying that there's like a definitive answer to existential crises but there are better places to look for answers than jesus <laughs> loves you don't you bible. know yeah yeah exactly um amaryllis is uh oh yeah this is her like where I, I, I kind of jumped the gun on this, but he was, she says, yeah, she could have put, you know, the dungeon master could have put the armor there for Valencia a few days ago and retroactively altered all of our memories and evidence to fit, fit a world where, it, where it had always been there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you just pulled out well shit. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, he could have, right. I suppose I, I'm not burning any energy worrying about that. I mean, again, if it, it could work out to where that's how the whole story worked. Like, oh, yeah, no, I kept jumping in and having to change things and this and that. And that'll be interesting. But kind of like uh, June with his commitment to, like, not caring about narrative stuff. Like, you, you can't run your life that way. So, like, kind of pragmatically and also just, like, what difference would it make to adopt that belief? It did, that, that wouldn't really, you know, as we say, pay rent and anticipated experience. Because um, mm-hmm. your, your experiences mean fuck all now. Um mm-hmm. I mean, this is like the, uh, shoot, I've got a, I've got a small headache and I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, Stuart, wait, no, Russell. No, you know, how I'm talking about the, you know, maybe the universe was made five minutes ago with socks pre-made in our holes, I or, had excuse me, holes, that. holes pre-made in our socks. Um, I had not heard that specific uh, uh, version of it before. I just heard, you know, last Tuesdayism. It, it last, comes, yeah. That was, it comes that was with the holes guy. pre-made in socks. Yeah, okay. that was like the re- that was the rebuttal. Um, this was, was it wasn't Russell Russell's teapot, right? What was the guy's first name? Bertrand. Bertrand. See, I wanted to say Stuart. I knew that wasn't it. That's the AI guy. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Bertrand Russell was the same guy who had that 
five, you know, last, I think he is the guy who coined last Tuesdayism. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. So, uh, the thing is, it's like, if I were to say, I believe this, I believe last Tuesdayism, um, mm-hmm. what, what, what does that even do? Right? Yeah. Nothing. So I'm like, all right, let's not even just, let's just not go there and act like our lives are real. If I, if I got, if I got proof of that, I'm like, okay, well that sucks. And that's weird. And I'll have to figure out how to adjust to that. Um, but as it is, like they've got no, they don't have any definitive way. Yeah. Maybe that's what Fen means. Maybe she's like, I did a lot of thinking about this whole Christianity thing with your omniscient, omnipotent God. And I ran into last Tuesdayism and I thought about it all. And I eventually came to the same conclusion as Stephen and Bertrand Russell and, everyone else that this is just not worth thinking about it. And that's why she means what she means by I'm over this existential, existential stuff. So she was saying that the, it's currently to their benefit that maybe the DM cheats and alters the past and present and everyone's memories or something. If that is what happens, uh, because it is to our benefit to have all these uh, cursed items that work together with Valencia. Uh, But she says in the future, maybe it won't be to our benefit in the past. Eh, hard to say. Uh, I didn't know what she was referring to, but Fen points out that she's talking about the password protected tattoo variant, <laughs> which Amberless says it was bullshit. The whole fucking thing. And yes, I'm still quote salty unquote about it. <laughs> we were specifically fucked by a black swan. Um, I think that Amaryllis has a point because uh, since now the thinking about thinking about it, and it looks like the possibility the DM has this power. Who who's to say he didn't create the tattoo like literally on the spot and retroactively put in all this thing about yeah no it had been discovered you know a number of months ago and it's still hidden knowledge like who would know? Yeah, if he wanted to set up a quest where they had to go rescue uh, Amaryllis from a gold mage, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is the way he could have done that. Um, yes, it's uh. It's some shenanigans, and I totally get why she's salty about it. Like, it's how can you plan anything in life when that kind of thing is on the table? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it. I. I just remembered June punching the guy. He's like, I almost fucking died because of your stupid bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I I felt where he's coming from. I gotta say, I think in a world like this where you cannot plan for things, if this is the way it is, because the DM can do anything, Fen probably has better survival instincts than Amaryllis does, because she's very much a just, I'm rolling with whatever is happening right now kind of person, as opposed to Amaryllis getting extremely upset if things, you know, are bullshit. Maybe? On the other hand, Fen doesn't even try to plan, and trying to plan can still be useful. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that one of the, like, the, we did an episode of the Beijing Conspiracy on the Do It Initiatives? And like one of the anti do it initiatives was like, just don't plan anything. Cause if you plan stuff, plans can go wrong. Uh, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a path straight to, uh, I don't know, wasting 20 years looting exclusion zones and not like making friends <laughs> and having a life. That's a damned good point. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, speaking about black swans, June points out that there are black swans, uh, sometimes like, uh, so usually you don't include them without foreshadowing and etc. But sometimes they are the point uh, regarding, specifically, he mentions Game of Thrones. That uh, if you already have a body of work built up and expectations in your audience, then uh, breaking those expectations within the context of that audience is uh, like, it's a legit thing to do. And as he points out, Game of Thrones did it amazingly well. And I think that's a really good point that June brought up. But I also don't think that the tattoo counts at all 
And I don't know why June is trying to compare the two because we as the audience did not have any expectations about a tattoo spell because we don't know anything about tattoo spells. And there was no there was no expectation to be broken there. We'd have to have had decades of tattoo pocket examples in fiction for, for that to count, you know? I don't think so. I was surprised when the tattoo didn't work. So my expectation of how it worked was built on their expectations of it. And when they were surprised, I was surprised. Yeah, but it wasn't like a narrative thing where um, that was the whole point. That since you are a reader of fantasy fiction, you know that this is how these things always work. And then it went suddenly directly the opposite to break those narrative expectations. Oh, as sure. To, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't as like surprising as Ned Stark getting beheaded. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. It was. I, I see what you're saying. Um, but you know what we do have decades of examples of? Tell us. Friendly, sentient magical artifacts that are your friends and just the best thing ever and would never betray you, like magic flying carpets or or semi-sentient ropes. <laughs> so the way to usurp that expectation would be to give us one like Bethel. I mean, we also have malevolent <laughs> well, uh, sentient magical artifacts. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think we've ever had something like a, a you know magic carpet from Aladdin or a ropey that turned out to actually be evil. We've not had an actual Jar Jar Binks. So, um, I don't know. Could, could be, could be a thing. Are you talking about like the Sith Jar Jar Binks? Yes. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Uh, I think, oh, we both pulled out a similar thing about Fen. Uh, she says, if you want me to read books, you shouldn't have invented, t- you shouldn't have invented television. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's just, she's totally the every man standing here, right? I mean, kind of, except for she's reading Harry Potter. Um, yeah, because, the big-breasted pale girl is reading them, and she doesn't want to fall behind her. Um, is Valencia big-breasted? I never got the impression that she was big-breasted. You said she was June bait. Yeah. I, I assume that means ample cleavage. I don't know. Um, oh, I, I meant more like in terms of psychology than, than... Well, yeah, I guess also... Yeah, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> if, she, if, she's, if she's teenager bait, she's got big boobs, just saying. Okay, um, cool, fair. I mean, maybe. I don't know. But uh, then she says... As they're talking about like this, like you said, the narrative stuff, Game of Thrones, whatever. She says, snooze, pass, I'm done with it. And I just put like, it's these sort of like, quote unquote, antics that make me just like Fen. Like she can't sit still long enough to hear if a conversation's going to be important. Mm. And, you know, like I get it. She doesn't want to participate. And I get like narrative stuff stresses her out. But I mean, they're they're trying to solve like an actual confusion about how the shit, how, why on earth does this stuff fit Valencia? What's going on here, right? Yeah, um, but I mean, she has... She literally really hates the narrative thing. Yeah, but I don't know. I it's no excuse to not not think about it. You're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't happen to to hate needles, but if I did, I would still go get a vaccine, right? Like you you put up with with stuff you don't want to do for the greater good, and yeah. especially if like the lives of you and your friends depend on it. Yeah, yeah. Do they have yeah, right. Airbnb Xanax? I'm sure they do. I don't. Well. They haven't said anything. They probably maybe have like a Xanax-like spell. Definitely. You know, there's some bone magic or something you can do to somebody to chill them the fuck out. So if she's getting yeah. stressed about talking about it, all right, here's 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 a chill pill. Let me you channel take... some wisdom into you. Right. Yeah, they should try that. I, I'm really curious what Fen with five more wisdom would be like. Yeah. That sounds like a, that's a kind of way to like to fast track somebody onto like a, uh, you know, to get over some, you know, some whatever. Like if they're if they're therapists on air, but that's maybe one thing that they do. That would be really cool. I'll say. All right, now that but you've seen what this temporary. is like from the from the laurels of somebody with sixty years of wisdom, 
now you can see why you know your problems are are more manageable or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so Finn and Emerilis are sort of bickering a bit. June asks that what's they're like when they're alone together, and Finn says exactly like that. But usually we're naked and having a pillow fight while we talk, which is great. But then Valencia jumps in and is like, "She does that with you too," <laughs> <laughs> and she actually gets Finn for a second, which was beautiful. And I, I, everything about this interaction was great. And also, then Amaryllis asks if she's using a devil to sell the joke. And Valencia holds up a thumb and a finger, finger just a little bit. Like, maybe maybe she was just using the devil a little bit. Yeah. Which, another great, funny, comedic beat. I, I thought the whole thing, oh yeah, that was a great, I, I like stopped to do like one of the little Lenny faces when we do naked pillow fights. And then when mm. Val jumps in next, I'm like, oh, that's hilarious. So I got to like actually have a, a beat for that joke. Um, mm-hmm. the, the devil thing, she said that she like, used one to consult about how to best ask George on a date and then uh, asked several more for uh, second opinions. And then when she asked him, it was all herself or something, but it's like, and now she's doing it to sell a joke. Like she's not taking the advice of like, you really got to maybe curb your enthusiasm here just a smidge. And uh, I don't know, slow your roll. They're going to, they're going to, the, oh, yeah, in fact, you got here. Um, Amaryllis pointed at the same thing. Like, slow the fuck down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she says they're, they're, if they find out what's happening traced back to you, they they have methods of influencing Arab. They haven't been united since the apocalypse demon, uh, but trillions of infernals unified is not something we should risk for a joke. Which, first of all, I want to tell Amaryllis to chill the heck out. I don't think they're going to notice one little devil if there's literally trillions of them, right? But they will if she's using five or six every time she wants to do, like, something as small as, you know, ask somebody on a date, right? And this this is just one joke, right? But there's trillions of them. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess since you are the more responsible of us, I should trust your judgment on this. Well, I, I, I think I'm also just the more... Um, uh, caution it, cautious one. Like I, maybe they care about each and every one of them. Maybe they're a hive mind down there, right? Oh, no way. They don't mm. coordinate, but you know, they could all be networked somehow in a way that they're all aware when one dies and they don't usually die. Now they're dying, you know, at the rate of hundreds a day and they get, they're able to trace it to one earthling, uh, or one <laughs> Arab person. Um, right. I, I can see that. I can see this being a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, right after she said trillions of infernals unified again isn't really something we should risk for a joke. I really, for, first of all, the, the infernals unifying new threat we hadn't heard of before, another interesting thing to note. But I was kind of expecting a quest to pop up as soon as she said that. Something along the lines of the killing joke. That would have <laughs> been a good one. Valencia has made one joke too many. All the devils are now united against you. <laughs> you must find some way to defeat them before they destroy Arab. That sounds like a higher level quest, but I hope it does come with something like that. Yeah. But it is a missed opportunity by the DM, I mean. Yeah. And they do have some higher level quests, like, you know, become a god. Bother a god. It's a little different. They did have one where he said, like, you can join their ranks. That's that's a higher level. That's the one. It just says that, you know, if you want to some joy, if you want to join their ranks, it didn't like it didn't say that was a requisite for completing the quest. Ah, well, it still feels like a higher request to me. It, It might. Yeah. Yeah. But they do point out that murdering all the devils and demons is probably the most possible good that anyone can do. And I really like it when effective altruism and murder hoboing go hand in hand. Yeah. It's not rare that you can murder your way into a better world. 
or not it's, rare. Sorry, it's not common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, George, I, I'm liking this guy more and more. He thinks that uh, she should just kill them all anyway, and mm-hmm. uh, I think he knows what's up. I think he's on the right track. Um, it's it's with uh, I was I was glad they're finally having this conversation. And then it says, and then we moved on to other topics, and I yelled boo and threw a tomato at them. Yeah. And like, you guys are talking about, like, you know, this isn't Harry's sentient grass thing, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is actually important, like, for sure, mm-hmm. not just, like, hypothetically important. And There's they're like, people being tortured oh, yeah, right but, now. you know, what? There's people being tortured right now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, well. The- Speaking of George, by the way, we've been pronouncing it George. It looks like George to me, but someone on the Discord said that they think it's Jorge because of how it's pronounced. That sounds entirely plausible. Um, is plausible, but also George is easier to say. It's one less syllable. George, but I know how you spell well, George. Half a syllable less, and it's not spelled like that. Yeah, yeah. It's the it's a Spanish and Portuguese given name. I think it might be Jorge. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically the Spanish, the, the Latin version, Hispanic version. God damn it. I don't know. The I'm a racist white person uh, version of of uh, of George. Yeah. I'm well, not actually a racist George, white George is stuck in my head, so. No, um, let's yeah. stick with George. Alas. Alas, indeed. All right. Uh, she can does we... point out, before we go on, that she can maybe, uh, that she couldn't use the tendrils in on people in hell, but uh, that... The, uh, June says if she could have, that would have been a no-brainer, which made me stop for a second because I'm not sure that would be a no-brainer to – it feels weird to go around killing however many hundreds of millions or billions of people there are in the hells. But then again, I mean, I don't have to watch people being tortured anytime I look into an infernoscope. Like maybe running around doing that, euthanizing them is the best good you could possibly do. Assuming yeah. that it was a possibility. So, so that's that was my. I, I, had di- I had difficulty parsing what they were talking about here, but you seem to have come to my same conclusion. It was that she can't use her tendrils on the people in hell. Yeah. Then what the hell is her mentor perk for? Maybe those aren't people. Maybe they're just emulated people, and hell is just there to free people out. I don't know, but um, that would certainly be the more moral option for the DM. Yeah, but I don't give him many points for morality. I I would. If if we if it does turn out that way, I'd I'd give him a high five for it because I mean, I think we did we did toy with the idea um, of them just being kind of whatever pee zombies down there, but then it kind of makes you wonder like, or... what's the point? Like, if you're building a world from scratch, why why include that? There, no one's learning a lesson to live a better life or whatever because they all go to hell anyway. Like, I absolutely agree with you. The only thing I can really think of is like a motivation for June or whatever. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, actually. A good quest. Yeah. Yeah, no shit. Um, when I think about it that way, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, so you you put this, you know, literal hell in the way, and you test your character's uh, metal by giving them a quest to solve the problem. But since yeah. you're not a jerk, you don't put sentient people in there. <laughs> but you've got to motivate them somehow, so you put, you put fake sentient people in there. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but there's... there's- <laughs> This is also the DM that creates, you know, all this suffering that exists in air to the people who are still alive. Yeah. Like, yeah. if he's willing to, to torture people who are still alive, I guess that's, it's better that they stop being tortured when they die. But still, if he's willing to go that far, I don't see if hell is that, that big of a jump. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I'm just not imagining how awful hell is. Well, I mean, life is torture, you know, and bad things happen to people and stuff, but that's different than being tortured for all eternity. 
yeah, you know, and, and it's it's a whole different kind of of evil, you know. So like, if if somebody goes through and murders an entire town, like yes, that's bad, but that's uh, that's also kind of just like I don't know the free will problem, um, and I, I don't. It's eternal damnation with a capital E and eternal. Like that's the uh, um, that that's just a whole whole level of evil that nothing else really compares to yeah 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 no that's a good point that's like trying to compare you know a dude who kills two people to like hitler it's they're both bad but there's different levels of bad here yeah like i got one third of a micro hitler um yeah it's uh i think that june does make a good point though it's like you could have stopped every problem and you're not like fuck you you suck so yeah yeah Um, all righty yeah oh i had this uh because at least a couple times in the show, you said "dun dun dun," and that came yes. in my head at the end of this chapter. It said, "And if someone if someone comes for us, then after what happened to Larkspur, I doubt they'll err on the side of underestimating us." And June thinks to himself, "I consider that a chilling reminder of the kind of situation we're in, but more a chilling reminder was yet to come." Yes, which is totally a dun 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 moment. Exactly. Well, I, I'm glad that I have managed to stick something in your head. Absolutely. Um, cool. All right, we got. I, I'm surprised that I let us tarry for so long before we got to chapter 107, the name of the beast. Yes, this is where this is where the exciting stuff is at, and then the next chapter. Holy hell! I know. Wow, damn. This God, this is a much longer episode than I anticipated it being. I think I. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, oh, I no, really I, slowed I, down that first chapter. I'm not in a rush. I just I'm you know. Uh, I in fact, I was reading as I was reading through this and putting my notes together. I was like, this we could do this episode in an hour. You know, if I trimmed some stuff out like but i'm glad we talked about what we did and we got two more to go folks buckle up the All council right. of murder arches is hanging out inside of a fancy bethel <laughs> they and, are oh this is where she talks about how she's asked george on a date and used the devils or whatever um valencia i mean and mm. as she put it they're living in an enormous house where every single room was a room of requirement and for once her harry potter reference is spot on i like it yeah more or well, less spot on <laughs> They're mostly all pretty close to spot on. She just uses a whole lot of them. Yeah, I just I I I like this one. Uh, Amaryllis seems to not approve of George or Jorge because uh, he is in an organization with a lot of power. Like I, I kind of want to side with her, but also on the other hand, Valencia is an eldritch monstrosity. She's she's kind of got a lot of power too. So it's hard to say where the impal- power imbalance lies necessarily. But he he's definitely older than her at any rate. And so Amaryllis disapproves of this, and Sola says, I think it's nice. He seems like a very safe choice for you to experiment with courtship. And I like, I really like that Solus is still like this old, wise, hippie lady, um, despite having a child body. Me too. And while she's saying this, she's like working on a puzzle to like work on her dexterity and color matching and stuff. Like mm-hmm. she's got, she's got the pattern recognition of a five-year-old, but the wisdom and like mastery of speech of a 400-year-old. I, I, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Solace is great. Uh, so we get a whole list of things that people can't know. Do we want to go over that whole thing? I didn't pull any of them out. Um, All right, fuck it. Yeah, it's, the- it's, it's, the, it's the list of like, this will put us in danger if people learn this shit. Yeah, Every, so- everything as important from the game layer to like, we kill Larkspur, we killed Amon, that sort of stuff. Yeah. They have a whole list of things that they can't be telling people now, and that's I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I'd hate to live with that many secrets in my life, but Eh, I mean, they're trying to take over the world. I guess there's going to be some secrets you got to keep. Yeah, it's uh, it's devious work. 
Yeah. But they're speaking about goblins and how they are different between Arab and um, and uh, the fiction that June was used to. Um, and Amaryllis, first of all, says not to, for Sven not to say things in public because they're very impolitic. Uh, she says, you don't say that goblins are greedy. You don't so th- say that the goblins focus on possession of written information. You say instead, and then she has like this whole long, super politically correct thing that you're allowed to say, which is basically boils down to goblins are greedy and goblins try to keep monopolies on uh, on written information. But in the mo- most polite terms you can imagine, right? And it, I, I found that funny. And I, I guess that as a literal politician her entire life, like she's got to know all the politi- politically correct stuff. But this was one of those moments where I was like, really, you know, felt justified in my liking of Finn. <laughs> I mean, I think that her, it, it could be, you know, the PC way of putting it. But I also uh, suspect it might just be like more accurate. Um, I, and you said like, this is what makes you like Fen. Fen goes on to say, yeah, Arab goblins suck. And they do, like, but that just sounds racist. Like Amaryllis has given a, a compelling reason for like, yes, their society has been dominated this way for centuries. And that's why they are the way they are. And she's just like, yeah, fuck them. I don't know. I mean, so I, I guess not necessarily fuck them, but when you see a goblin in the wild, you you kind of know what you're getting if you're on Arab. And an easy way to shorthand that is that, you know, they're, they're mostly greedy. So keep that in mind when you're dealing with them. And yeah, there's always exceptions, but like, do you really have to go and I, I don't have their exact words in front of me, but say all this stuff, which just means greedy. Yeah. I mean, I think there was another time like this way earlier on. It might've been goblins actually earlier when they first mentioned them back in like the hotel room in Baron Jewel or something. And, uh, Amaryllis has makes a similar point that like, no, it's, she basically says, no, it's not like a bad attribute to the, to the, to the entire group. The group happens to have circumstances that manifest this way. Um, it just, I think I remembered something like that from before. I can't remember exactly what the context was. And I think it was goblins, but um, I, I, like, I just see it as a more humanistic approach to how to like orient yourself with respects to like, I mean, if they're inherently greedy in the same way that devils are inherently evil or something, then like, okay, great. We know how to deal with goblins. But if it's a if it's a circumstance of history, then it's not like any given goblin's fault for their greedy tendencies. Well, right? no, it's not their fault. You you should obviously judge each individual as you meet them um, individually. But or, as, like- or as Fen says, yeah, Arab goblins suck. <laughs> I mean, would you say the same thing about the corpse fuckers that now they're all great and everything and they fuck horses. But at the time, if you were a person living in the countryside and you saw one of those people work walking around, maybe you should uh, maybe you should be a little on guard that they might try to kill you and fuck your corpse. If I felt if I felt like I was in danger, I wouldn't care whether it's their culture or whether it was their biological need. Right. Right. Um, As it is. They found an amicable solution to these people. Genocide would have been a perfectly understandable approach, right? Mm-hmm. Instead, they were like, okay, we get it. This is how you guys reproduce. Here's a solution. Well, you guys will, are you guys willing to take this? And they're like, oh, totally. Yeah, we don't we don't live for the, you know, we don't live for the right. corpse fucking. We do it to live, you know? Um, <laughs> it was it was a result of their society and the circumstances they were in. Right. And so because they didn't attribute that to like a character part of them, but just as a thing that needs to be, that can be uh, worked on. 
the yeah. the solution wasn't these corpse fuckers suck. It was these corpse fuckers have a problem, and we have a solution for them. Yeah, I can see if you're like high up in the government and you have a lot of power, being able to catch things in those terms. But if you're a a peasant, you you can just say those people are corpse fuckers. Watch out around them, right? Well, if Fen wants to turn in her uh, Council of Arches badge and get off this important democracy that's going to be eventually running the entire planet, then she's welcome to keep unnuanced opinions on stuff like that, right? Well, I mean, I think she's already said she's just always going to vote and do whatever Amaryllis votes and does. (laughs) (laughs) So she has literally turned in her Council of Arches card. Yeah. Well, that's good then. Um, I... Because, like, I I would want someone with Amaryllis's nuance to be the one making these kinds of decisions. Yeah. Oh, uh, I just saw your note here. Oh, just yeah, why I called her a racist. Suck. Yes. <laughs> racist. So, yeah, Jesus, that's a mouthful. Was Fen's reply to uh, Amaryllis's nuanced take on goblins' uh, greediness? And Amaryllis replies with "Don't take the Lord's name in vain," which is a joke that they've been you know going back and forth for a while. But I think this might be foreshadowing for the Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf's name thing that taking his name in vain can actually be really bad. I don't know. If you take his name at all. Uh, right. Yeah. But that was supposed to be like the same thing as actual God in the past, right? If you take his name at all, it really means significant things. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on what they actually believed, but if, if they thought that you could actually beseech God for a good reason, you might be able to yeah. say his true name and try to get his attention, but only, you know, for important stuff, not like to pray for a field goal or something, right? Um, I suppose so, but it doesn't matter if you're, if you're praying to shy or not, he's going to come fuck you up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, uh, June says after they're, they got this whole, don't take the Lord's name in vain joke, joke going that it felt kind of disrespectful, I guess, even though it was disrespect towards a religion that I didn't have a lot of respect towards. And honestly, I think that's good. That religion should be disrespected. And I like Fen and Amy in this case and go to both of them. I think that he's thinking like, this is a giant part of earth culture and you guys, it is merely a joke to you. And yes, it's while it, it should be, it should be, um, whatever disrespected and, and dethroned. Uh, they're like, they don't get why it's so important. Um, like to earth or whatever. Eh, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I'm a pretty intense, uh, um, whatever anti-theist, but, yeah. uh, I think that I kind of kind of see where he's coming from. My main comment was by Odin's beard. If they take the, na- the name of one more Lord in vain, they shall feel the wrath of the mighty Thor. So was that not just super disrespectful to people who still believe in Odin and Thor? Mm, it's different. And if you don't, I, I think you have to see why, but I'm happy to, to explain. Is it because you don't think those people exist anymore? Some, some probably do, but it is not a major driving force of power for like the last 2000 years on the entire planet. Okay, so it's because they have no power now that it's okay. Yeah, if, if, uh, okay. if June was from whatever, medieval Norway, and this was like a giant thing in their culture, and it was merely like a joke to Fen and Amaryllis, that'd be the same. Okay. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not saying that... So, I think June says it still felt kind of dot, dot, dot disrespectful. I think it's because yeah, he can't find. Well, I think that he can't find the right word because disrespectful isn't isn't quite the word that I'm thinking of. It, it seems like I, they're just they're not getting the magnitude of like why it's. Uh, yeah, they're not respecting it. Like, I, I think it's the right word. I just think that it's something that I'm OK being disrespectful towards. And I think that's a good idea. 
I wonder if I could make my case coherently in 10 seconds or not. I think it's like, uh, they're not disrespecting it with like enough oomph and understanding behind it. So it's like just a joke, which is fine, but it's like, no, no, you guys need to really get why it's a joke. Um, maybe, maybe that's kind of what he's getting at, but he might also feel the same way about like, whatever Monty Python references, which they actually make at some point. It might've been in the last chapter. Um, or later in this one, I can't remember, but at some point they're comparing like the list of bad shit they've been through. And, uh, solace is like, well, I died. And then Fen says, well, you got better. (laughs) (laughs) So if they were making fun of Monty Python, it might be a similar vibe from June. I don't know, but that took me way too long. So we'll have to move on. Uh, okay. Uh, the next, Oh yeah. Uh, Fen wants to hang back and watch anime, get drunk and rest on her laurels, not realizing that that's exactly how you get cut in half. Uh, yeah, because she's not paying attention to these conversations. So, yeah, I, it struck me that she's been kind of grumpy ever they, since they got out of the time chamber, hasn't she? Uh, this seems perfectly in character with her. I haven't noticed any like change in disposition. This is like maybe this is one of the reasons you don't like Fen. But like I generally all her jokes have been, I thought, like good natured and going with the flow in the crowd. And now it sort of seems like she's she's developed some pricklies around her. I think it's just. I, I, I'm reading it to like, look, you know, I can get behind and, you know, whatever, be funny slash whatever my personality is when we're doing stuff right now. We're what you're you're writing contracts and stuff. Come on. Fuck that. I'm going to go watch TV. Like, I think that's totally in character for her. I it just doesn't seem as lighthearted as before. Hmm. Well, the the naked pillow fights was right up her alley. It's true. OK. Yeah. Maybe I was just still particularly gloomy due to the whole. Um, Greg's backstory and suicide talk and all that. I mean, maybe something's up. We'll have to get more time with her. Uh, after the time chamber, they basically went straight to the hospital where she was barely on the on the scene. So, um, but they do like almost right after this. Um, uh, June is saying, "Look, I I'm not saying we didn't deserve a break uh, or that the relative downtime we had." And Amaryllis gives like a short little laugh because she didn't have fucking relative downtime. She was working her ass off for nine months while gestating a baby. And then I'm just like, geez, everyone is really grumpy right now. Is, I, is, I think I you're mean, my, <laughs> my conjecture was this is what happens when murder hobos don't have no murdering to do and aren't hobos anymore. <laughs> they're out of their natural habitat and they're getting antsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that like earlier, Amaryllis, there's some line about like she's the only one doing real work. And she's like, well, there's enough work for whoever wants it. And then later mm-hmm. he's like, well, you know, uh, she's the one. Um, or, you know, we, we need downtime. And like, she laughs at that. Cause it's like, Hey, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I'm busting my ass over here all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I just put, that's our princess carrying the whole fucking team on her back. Yes. <laughs> I and liked your, yeah, uh, I mean, your, your latter paranoia here though. The, yeah. The other thing that I thought was maybe Bethel is sneaking into their dreams with her dagger and like getting them all grumpy at each other or something. That would be awesome. And it's the kind of thing I would not put past her, uh, Anyone who wants to maintain that she's a good companion, if she's doing that shit, is welcome to be wrong. Hmm. Like, uh, if, if you're so, deliberately sowing discord just yeah. because you like watching people fight, I don't know. Um, she's sinister. I want her to be nice. So I, th- I think that Amaryllis is just, you know, she's got her inferiority complex, so she can't take a break and watch movies for the sake of watching movies. You know, I think when she was doing it in the time chamber, she did it for, like, the sake of maintaining her sanity like scheduled uh schedule structured relaxation time 
Yeah. Um, and I think she even said that they started doing it after Grack came in on like the third month or something. And yeah. so uh, even even her times of like, and even those, she was like, I'm going to watch IMDb's top 100 or whatever. I'm not going to watch whatever movie I want. I need to, I'm doing this for research purposes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although, you know, she also didn't know what movies were good. Maybe the IMDb top 100 was just like the best list she could, she could get. It's true. But if she found, uh, I don't know, the matrix and the matrix might be on the list. The matrix two definitely isn't. Um, uh, I, I haven't well, looked at the I mean, list, but I'm sure not it's not, movie. I know, but like she might've been like, Oh, I want to see the other matrix movie. Cause I like the first one. Oh, I see. And yeah. she wouldn't have seen it because it wasn't on the list. And then, yeah. Yeah. You're thinking that she just wouldn't have watched it. I, that's my that's my current running guess. But that, I think, is a very good guess. I would probably think the same thing. She'd be like, oh, well, it wasn't on the list, so don't have time for that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, um, the June says that um, with Bethel here, it would be easy to simply abandon our higher objectives and settle into the lap of luxury. I don't want to do that. And as soon as he said that, a small part of him said, actually, I kind of do want to do that. And like, maybe it's just because I'm getting older or whatever and less willing to just take on the shit of, of all day, everyday living. But I, I, I think he's he's kind of not wrong there. Like he's got a magic house, no material wants, good health, two beautiful ladies. And that's not a bad way to retire. Wait, who are the two beautiful ladies? Amaryllis and Fen. Oh, so Val's not on the list. Well, Val's got Jorge now. I mean, all he has, all he has to do is say, "Come hither," and she would, you know, drop. I suspect she dropped her knees and crawled to him, or maybe she self actualized. It's been a whole. Two, it's been a very long two weeks for her. She maybe has grown right. up a lot. Yeah, that's been like you know as long as she's ever been outside of the cage. Yeah, yeah, good for her. I think I think that she'd probably tell him like, "What the hell are you doing? That was yeah. that was so you know two weeks ago." Yeah, new me I, has you know actual wants that you know now that I've met more than one boy, <laughs> right? and it's 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 just kind of weird because i remember when i was reading this the first time that did not occur to me at all i was like no man you gotta go fucking go save arthur go save the world from all its misery and goddamn unhell the hells because that's just the worst thing like i was not even remotely for two seconds on his side about this whole maybe settling down thing and this time when i was reading it i was like yeah you know maybe maybe he's done enough for Arab. maybe he could just (laughs) just chill in bethel for for a few decades I think they've earned a vacation. I don't think that they've earned retirement. Um, retirement is just like a really long vacation. Yeah. So he, so gets, he doesn't have to say he retires. He's just like, I'm on an indefinite vacation. And I think he gets his two weeks of PTO, then back to work for you. Arab's not going to no, fix no. itself, young man. No, that's true. But I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and Grack is, is, you know, he says the DM will punish idleness because he is basically a christian a puritan and uh, i think he has a good point there what do you mean oh the uh the dm is or grack i think that grack has a point that the dm is would fuck him if they tried to rest i I thought you said puritan something something oh no i think grack is kind of like a puritan in that regard the the work ethic is super important oh he also just if he's sitting still he's thinking about his uh you know dead kingdom that he killed so He's like, yeah. can we go off and risk our lives, please? <laughs> to keep my mind busy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Amaryllis has the counterpoint that she came out of eight months of almost pure idleness unscathed, which I wanted to point out. First of all, she wasn't purely idle. She just wasn't murder hoboing. But more importantly, that was fast forwarded. It only took a few chapters for us, and uh, there were still a lot of interesting things happening. So I don't think that counts at all. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm surprised like, no one in the group called her out on that because, you know, yes, you came out of eight months of what you call pure, almost pure idleness, entirely unscathed, Damarillus, sure. But you came out of, what, five or six hours mm-hmm. on, you know, to, to the outside. So, you know, you, you didn't get a year off. You know, it's unclear if they really wanted to take a long vacation, you know, so assuming they get like, what, three days where the DM throws throws an ice dragon in their face or something. Yeah. If they were to spend that in the time chamber, you know, would the DM really give them two years? Like, maybe? I don't know. So, it... it. I mean, they couldn't be two years to the DM, I guess is what I'm saying. He he needs to be entertained. Yeah. So, he'd have to find something to... Yeah. So, the point is that that doesn't seem like a valid argument her memorialist there and it was uh incongruous of her to like it doesn't seem like her to kind of make that point um yes i think that what she's trying to do is like start trying to ignore the narrative stuff right it does seem like that what she's trying to do yes but yeah. i don't I, I think i still think that this thing is primarily for the dm's entertainment and if he is not entertained bad things happen i suspect you're you're right but it the, the question then is like how much does obsessing about that uh help and all that makes me think is just like i'm just glad our universe doesn't have a mysterious god with indecipherable whims like if 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 that was how our world works and we're all constantly like actually panicked about that sort of thing life would be hectic Mm -hmm. as shit yeah so as it is if we we want to be lazy and watch anime all day you know we're not going to be struck by lightning over it hey do you not so when i do that i still feel bad do you feel bad that's my secret captain i always feel bad um, <laughs> awesome i i, I, I reference maybe i've grown more uh like forgiving with myself about downtime because i i i take a lot of downtime um and when i i don't know if i get it depends i feel bad but i'm not getting you know it's not like a, a b and e will you know or some what do you call those uh there's a subgenre of horror movies where people break in and kill you um uh, home invasion. There we go. Oh, oh. I, I'm not going to get home invaded by like you know psychopaths wearing masks if I sit at home all weekend getting drunk and watching TV, right? So right. Like, I might feel bad. That's my problem. But like yeah. the universe itself won't twist itself to fuck me, right? Right. So that's no, that's what I'm. It's just the you thinking. feeling guy that I was asking about, though. Oh yeah, yeah. So aside from the the DM or God nonsense, yeah. I mean, I tend to feel that way if I'm unproductive for too long. Um, I, I allow myself a good portion of it because I realize I don't function well without it. Uh, yeah. But as it is, I I mean, I'm coming towards the end of, God, so fast. I took a three-week vacation between jobs and I didn't sleep in once. You know, I didn't like, I didn't take any psychedelics and burn a whole day. I, I feel like I kind of wasted the vacation. So I'm kind of feeling like I didn't relax enough. Um, no. So that's, that's a drag. But what are you going to do yeah. next time? Yeah. <laughs> The next, next time you quit your job and get a new one, which in your field, I hear, is every year or two. So not that much longer. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Maybe oh, like yeah. when the contract is up and I go to full time, maybe I'll take a week off and like take a proper vacation. That sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. So June is saying that he wasn't doing all those pictures and drawings of Tiff because he was obsessed with her and just couldn't get her out of her mind. It was more like a old nostalgia thing. And the memory was like so distant at that point that like maybe it had all been a dream. Maybe, you know, he's earth skewered instead of Arab skewered and writing, drawing those things was like a way to remind himself and confirm that like it really, there really had been a place like earth and it wasn't just a dream. And 
I wanted to point that out, pull that out partly because it was, you know, poignant and nice. And also because I really, really fucking despise dreams. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why that I have some phantom memories right now that I don't know if they're real or if they're dreams. And I absolutely despise that and, and want it to not happen anymore. A lot of my dreams involve magic shenanigans. So I enjoy that. Um, it's, I, I see what you're saying. Like if I, if I had realistic dreams about like things that could actually happen, and they yeah. got they got twisted into my actual memories that might be confusing, but um, as it is, most of my dreams are weird enough that they don't uh, they don't land in the this probably happened bucket in my head. But I think that bucket has a hole in it anyway. So um, yeah, but I do like that view a lot. You know, after after forty years here, you know, he's he's drawing pictures of his high school sweetheart, just not because oh my my unrequited love, but it's like that. You know, I can imagine him laying awake at night, and be like that happened, right? Like I was mm-hmm. there. You know, I spent mm-hmm. three times as much time here on Arab as I did on Earth. Like, am I am, that was real? Um, mm-hmm. I just put that the dream scares both ways. And if you're here long enough, it seems like uh, it, it it would be reasonable to look back and be like, maybe that whole Earth thing was bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, June's got the backpack, so you know he's got proof. But I don't know if Arthur had any proof other than his memories. Yeah. So. Anyway, they're trying to um, think of ways to kill some time because they have they did come down on the idea like okay yeah let's let's find some uh, some chill time here. Um, oh, speaking of chill time, apparently Bethel watches them have sex, but you know um, <laughs> that sounds like her. So they were like, "Well, we is, could it do cons- possible, huh? is it possible for her to not watch though? Like she's aware of everything that happens inside her." Uh, that's a good question. I wonder if she can turn her like close her eyes to something. Mm. Um, I don't know. She she said that she can go inside the time chamber, but like it doesn't make sense because everything's going so fast. So she just doesn't go in there. Yeah. So it seems like she can not go in places. Hmm. But maybe the time chamber Very is a special well. room. Anyway, so they're they're throwing out game ideas, you know, honey heist or uh, lasers and feelings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's like, ah, oh, it's a Star Wars thing. Maybe it doesn't or Star Trek thing doesn't translate. Same thing probably goes for actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. And I fucking loved this. Yes. I had such a great time with it. I, I already like I've had the song as, you know, it's I made references to it later because I can recite the whole thing from memory. And uh, it's great. So what happens when, I, when he drops the, the shy bomb? <laughs> <laughs> so Amaryllis immediately stops him and says, don't say one fucking word, because when she gets serious, she gets fucking serious. It was awesome. Uh, but it turns out that when you say Shia LaBeouf's name, there's a 60% chance that he will show up and murder the fuck out of everything around there, just like in a horror movie, basically. He's unkillable. He, he, his power level rises to meet whatever challenges in front of him. And uh, she said there's a good chance that we're all going to be dead in, within an hour. Yeah. She says, like, don't want to say another fucking word because she says, stop, no one speak. And who else but beloved friend says, What? Um, so then that's where she says, no, stop. No one say another fucking word. And then she just says, info hazard. Don't speak without thinking of every single word that comes out of your mouth. No nouns, hundred most common words. And then she just, we need to, we need to, we need to go to war footing. There's a 60% chance. Most of us will be dead in the next hour. Start getting armored up. And I was like, holy shit. Shy doesn't fuck around. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, after, uh, after that, then it's the, she explains the 60% chance on the first invocation of his name and i wonder if he's the excluded horror on the list that would be my guess yeah anyway this 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 was just great like and 
it we there's a beat in the next chapter that helps helps explain why it's so great. So mm-hmm. uh, we can we can hold off until then. But I do you happen to remember your first thoughts other than like that's hilarious when you read this? Yes. Uh, so um, first, she she at the very end of the hour, she's like she lets out her breath, says, "I think if you were coming, he would have. We can stand down." I totally expected a jump scare right then because that would be just perfect in the horror movie trope. As soon as you think you're safe, that's when ah, it comes out of nowhere to kill you. That's a good point. But, she, should, she should have known that when she said that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, the when I first read this, since we, we got like the flashback where uh, they go and do the Shia LaBeouf thing in the cabin in the woods. Um, and the like their situation is almost perfectly mirrored here there's uh in the flashback it was a group of friends gathered for gaming in a spooky house on a creepy island far from civilization with shitty weather and they just said shy's name and and they're they're literally that they're a group (laughs) of friends they're gathered for games on an island shitty weather in, in a spooky haunted house and uh and like so i thought it was going down there's going to be screaming and gore everywhere i don't know when this chapter was published because i was not like reading them uh i I was still behind at that time uh the story was quite a bit further ahead than where i was but like i assumed that this was published around halloween and this was the halloween chapter and like they had literally just been talking about one-shot adventures right this is a meta story and what would be more perfect and meta than having a one-shot adventure chapter happen to them as they were talking about one-shot adventures and and i was so on board with this with with seeing all this happening and then it didn't he didn't show up they just stood down and then talked about how horrific and terrible this is and i was disappointed that there was not some mass carnage i don't know like i didn't i don't under so i I, actually i completely understand why it's funny and it is funny but like (laughs) i (laughs) i was here for the horror i was not laughing i was like oh this is gonna be so fucking gruesome and good maybe maybe it'll come um i I can't find, maybe it's not on Archive of Our Own. I thought at the top was the published date for each chapter, mm. but... Uh, it, it, I think it is. Oh, well then so many of them have been July 7th, 2017. Um, okay. So maybe that, anyway, so this wasn't the Halloween episode or chapter, if that's the, the date that this chapter was published. But okay. but yeah, I mean, there's like the flashback. He's like, I th- I'm pretty sure I knew what this is about. And then it lays out like the exact um, thing mm. where... Uh, they're they're playing in the they're they're setting like you described and then arthur's like hold on uh in in character i forgot the book of aramaic i'm gonna go to the bathroom and uh um he says i want i want to start this right i stand in front of the mirror i close my eyes i say it slowly getting faster each time shia labeouf shia labeouf shia labeouf and (laughs) does anything happen and then uh do you open your eyes i do He's standing behind you, fully naked. His beard is drenched in blood. <laughs> and my comment on that was, my God, there's blood everywhere, which is one of the lines from the song. Um, Excellent. You know the song much better than I do. Like, I, I know of it, and I know a line or two, but I do not have the thing memorized. It's It's been, I, I think I discovered it a couple of years after it came out, and I thought it was like, had just just been a thing. Rachel's like, oh yeah, no, that's been around. I'm like, are you kidding? This is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> How could you not have shared this with me earlier? I think she just assumed I'd seen it because it had been out. I don't know. But um, yeah. yeah, it was great. All right. So after Amaryllis uh, says, okay, look, we can probably stand down. He'd have been here by now. Fen says, you could have told us beforehand. 
And Amarillo says, oh, yes, that's a fucking brilliant idea, spreading the knowledge of things that are dangerous to know and even more dangerous to say, which might literally kill me if spoken by someone else. Why did I, not think, why did I, why did I not think to tell you of all people? <laughs> <laughs> that's harsh, man. Well, then Ben goes on to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are we going to play? Uh, sorry, what was the thing? Yeah, I love when you get snarky. So are we going to play a game of actual cannibal? And then Valencia channels a demon like whip fast and is on Ben, like grabbing her, pulling her wrist up behind her back, forcing her down on the table, covering her mouth. And it it was, you know, it was pretty cool. And my note here is, look, I know you're going to say that Ben shouldn't have been joking about that. And I will give you this one. (laughs) And I just put, you know me well, sir. (laughs) Yes. And so the next lines here were Valencia's hand covered Fen's mouth in the same motion. Fen stayed down, Fen stayed down, trying not to fight. After a few seconds, muffled words came from behind Valencia's hand, and Valencia says, "She's licking me." <laughs> and I had said Val jumped like three slots closer to my favorite companion. I doubt mm-hmm. Fen would have been stupid enough to actually say the name, but that's the problem with having a Fen in the team. She's a wild card, <laughs> like Charlie, right? Um, uh, oh. not quite. Which but Charlie? Charlie Kelly from uh, It's Always Sunny. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so, like, I was thinking, in my in my notes anyway, I put, I think Val would have been justified in killing her just then. Like, if she hadn't been able to subdue her otherwise. They certainly would have killed some muggle, you know. Absolutely. And yeah. so, granted, they have history with Fen. Maybe probably don't kill her so quickly. But it's like, I'm only pretty sure you're not going to say it. Fuck you. Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> we will all die if you think it's funny. So forget it. But then I had to put in the, in the, um, you know, to keep things balanced that the licking thing is funny. And that's why we like Finn. <laughs> like, yeah, she, she, she's pinned and then she starts licking her hand, which I know she did that once before with June and it was still funny. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was funny. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think because I took it slightly more seriously, I, I thought this was even less funny than normal for Ben to do to try to make that joke. But uh, like, like I said, I oh, because you were in horror movie mode. Yes, I was. Yeah, that would have been like when she pretends to like she's gonna say it. That's when you get a shy surprise. Shy surprise. And he actually kicks the door and it starts eating people. Yeah, that's why you know I, I said I give you this one because I agree with you here. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised Emerald didn't go over there and just hit her with the butt of a rifle or something. No. You know, I know that that doesn't really knock people out. And if it does, they're seriously fucked up, but they've got magical healing. It's true. You know, but I think that I, might damage I the friendship. She just, she just wasn't as fast as, as Valencia with a demon. No, I mean, once she's pinned, oh, like just, oh, just, just sort, of, the, sort of as retaliation yeah, just to go up and hit her. I'm, yeah, no. Emerald isn't a bitch. No, but it, w- it would be understandable. Like, look, you you freaked us all out. I, you know, like peeing on the rug, you need to be shown not to do that. But oh man, I no, that's just 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 being cruel for no reason to go over and punch someone or hit him with a rifle. I'm not I'm not saying that she should have. I'm just saying I'm I'm kind of surprised she didn't. But I I think I think Emerilis is a nicer person than you think she is. Then I think I don't think it's mean. I think it's understandably an understandable response to that level of stress. Like, look, I just told you we might all die. And here you are trying to make it funny in a way that, again, might have killed us. You know, you uh, don't know the full extent to the info hazard. You don't know if actual cannibal is part of it. Like, you know, it, for, I, all, for all Fen knew, she, she was she was killing them all. I mean, they I were pretty sure it was saying. the name, but. 
I mean, Amaryllis, the rest of them might not know, but Amaryllis was absolutely positive it's just the name because she knows the literal words. Right, but Fen didn't. Oh, wait, no, Fen, um, sorry, uh, June does, she says, we don't know if it's a name or just a word. And, uh, well, then again, they don't obviously say what they're talking about. June says it's a name. Um, and she says, a man shows up if you invoke it. But the full name might be actual cannibal. Sh- well, then again, if you ever use the words actual cannibal, that sounds easy enough to discover on accident. Yeah. Yeah. Still, it was not a safe joke to make. <laughs> I, I and I, can, I can understand if, if Amarillo's lashed out in anger, but she didn't because she's apparently nicer than I am. I don't think I would have either, <laughs> but I would, I would have understood if someone in our group went up and hit her. See, I don't I just don't think that's an appropriate reaction. I, I guess we just disagree on what's an appropriate reaction to a certain level of stress to someone almost killing me. No, that's not someone almost killing you. That's hmm. like it would have been. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Not right. fair. This is this is on the edge. Yeah. OK. Uh, anyways, uh, she's famous. Like, look, if I can't joke about atrocities, what can I joke about? And Grack says puns. And no, no, Grack. Let's go back to the atrocity jokes. Those are much better. Thank you. I I don't know. I I think Grack's on to something. This seems to be the, the best source of humor. Not. A, because it's the funniest, and B, it's the safest. So I just put, <laughs> go, you're goddamn right, Grack. Puns and nope. butt touching. Well, yes, butt touching. <laughs> <laughs> At least there we can agree. But no puns, please, for the love of God. Okay, so um, near the end there, Amaryllis says that I think what just happened was a warning. Warning from the Dungeon Master that if we sit around and do nothing, an adventure will come for us. And I think that's that's very reasonable. It does seem like a warning. Like, hey, guys, stop trying to retire. I'm getting bored over here. You know what happens when the DM gets bored? It's it's wild because if that's the case, if this was like an actual intended warning, then that means that June wasn't in control of his own thoughts and words when he said that, right? Or like they were all retroactively, Ooh. you know, the Shia LaBeouf or, thing was all retroactively shoved into the history of the planet. Yep, yep. So I, that's possible. I think this is just the kind, this, this seems more just like less of like DM intervention and more just narrative right yes yeah yeah look if you guys sit around being boring shit's gonna come down uh this is the ice dragon that's gonna kick your door in right um Mm -hmm. so yeah uh i think it's i think it's more like that um and like i mean yeah i I agree but that's that's what narrative is right that's why it's the driving force in their world yeah but it's it's less of like a dm warning and more of just like again story structure warning yeah i hear you saying though is there a difference between a DM warning and a story structure warning? Uh, well, I guess not because the, the DM is the storyteller. Yeah. Aside aside from like when he pulled June out to talk to him directly, um, then no, I, I guess I guess not. That's that that's what a DM warning would look like, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Where is free will in this picture? <laughs> right. I'm not. I'm not a free willist, but uh, it's weird to like have it pointed out that like yes your world actually doesn't work that way and see reminders of it all the time right mm-hmm. yeah uh, okay so um talking about not having free will about stuff um they're talk they talk again about how june had like this insane leveling orgasm at the at the uh end of the last section that we read and he now does not want to level because he's worried about losing himself in in that again he he doesn't want another heroin injection shoved into his veins and he's saying that like 
if you were literally omniscient, that like the DM, then you'd have to understand that I would be horrified by the idea of losing myself to an impulse to become stronger, right? I've got a disincentive to pursue leveling now. And I think, actually, that may be entirely the point. That uh, maybe the DM did want to put a bit of a break on his leveling drive, and this is one way of him doing that. And also cause some internal conflict along the way, which is interesting and fun to watch because, you know, it's a different type of conflict, requires a different kind of fighting. It's not the same thing all the time uh, seeing. And, you know, it, it keeps a constant sense of danger around. Like, oh, you never know if this might make you level if you kill this person. Like, I I personally like it. And I think that that may have been entirely what the, the DM was after. I like where you're at on that. I um I don't quite know what to make of his concern there i mean you know like the it was it was previously his highest value but i don't know if it was like twice as high as his next highest or 10 times as high maybe on the last level up it went up to 100 times as high as his you know highest value um mm-hmm. or his second highest but then that just makes me wonder like i don't know it seems like you know like odysseus with the uh the sirens you know he can just tell amaryllis look i'm going to keep leveling up and when i do will you change my soul back because when i'm under the influence of wanting to level up, I won't want to do it myself. And they can pre-commit yeah. to that, right? Well, so, I think that's exactly what they did. But what if she's not around when he levels up or she's been knocked unconscious because they're in a fight or something? Well, I mean, unless he's going to just like literally sprint away from her to go try and get more experience points somewhere or something, which isn't usually how his level ups go. They usually happen at the end of conflicts, right? Yeah, but sometimes the party is split. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I guess, like, then he would try to avoid her because he doesn't want to get switched back to caring less about it. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do like your read on it, though. Like, the DM knows that. And assuming the guy's not an idiot. Um, so, it... Uh, yeah. No, I, I like your take on it. Um, anyway. Yeah. And he does um, talk about this thing that we were talking about earlier in the notes chapter where he's, since he's in a narrative and he's the protagonist of it, he's going to be changed into something. Uh that's what worries me being forged into something new and maybe something unpleasant and i mean basically yeah i agree with him that's a big thing in narratives like particularly now that uh character growth a character arc is considered pretty vital to any story but i did want to point out that maybe this just isn't that kind of story that like Mm -hmm. character growth didn't have to be a part of a story and character arcs weren't always such a central feature for for stories so uh, we view it that way because it's in all of our stuff or most of our stuff, but could, could be not the case possibly. I am happy to bet 50 bucks that there's some substantial character growth by the end of the story. Yeah, um, me too. Especially since we're reading it in the year 2020. Well, and it's graphic. And that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just kind of given the genre, it's, he's not going to come out the same person that he was when he went in. Uh, we, we don't want to see that. And I don't think, Alexander wants to write a story like that. Um, Do you think Lex Luthor changed? Because I, I don't think Lex Luthor actually changed as a person in Metropolitan Man, but it was still an amazing story. It was, but he wasn't like the hero. Um, he was the protagonist. He was, uh, but he wasn't the hero. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that uh, he, I don't, I don't think he changed much. He might've, he might've changed a smidge, but the, I think the kind of the point is, is like, he was like Quirrell, you know? Yeah. If if that's the rationality I've been from Quirrell's point of view, uh, it doesn't mean like we should all be more like Quirrell. No, no, I, I yeah, you, that oh, no. does not 
Just because yeah. someone's a protagonist doesn't mean that they're supposed to be someone that we look up to, but the protagonist is the one that the narrative is about. And so they're generally the ones that the character arc is supposed to apply to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't explain why I made that jump. Um, like to why... Interesting. It's interesting, though, because Superman actually had a huge character arc. So I guess there still was a character arc in that story. Damn it. I'm sorry. No, I no, failed. It, it, well, no, I think we're talking from protagonists. I mean... Uh, and it's interesting that the person who had character growth and developed got killed. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the growth didn't amount to anything. Uh, it, um, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Amaryllis is wondering, is like, are, you want to refuse the call? And he's like, well, no, not, not exactly. It's just, like you said, he doesn't want to be forged into something new. I do think though, that like this story wants to forge him into something new, but something recognizably new. That's why it put those personality constraints or whatever, right? Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we get, uh, you you were talking about, um, like, still wanting this to be a horror story sort of thing. And I was like, oh, wait, there's still a chance because June's like, shit, we missed something. And mm. Amaryllis, wait, what? The name. And I just like the scene, you know, the image is like she stiffens slightly. And he's like, it's the name of a famous actor on Earth. We need to get the speculation and scrutiny right away and warn them because this is a disaster waiting to happen yes and then they get the quest name of the beast go to athenaeum speculation and scrutiny and warn them about the word that no one can be allowed to say and i just want to point out that the narrative did force them on an adventure after all because they dilly dally too long perhaps this should be a lesson to all of them (laughs) uh it's Sure seems that way, right? I think it was the game telling them to just do it, all caps, exclamation point. Mm. That was There's... Shai's TED Talk. Just do it! Oh, was it? Yeah. Four okay. minutes of him Didn't saying, don't let Sorry. your dreams be dreams, just do it, and flexing at the camera. It was insane. Seriously? Yep. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! Okay, I gotta watch this TED talk. It's it's uh, I wouldn't say inspiring, but it's <laughs> the, the message is important. <laughs> let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. Just do it. So we move on to the, that's really great. I, I'm gonna see this. We move on to chapter 108, the dream that skewers. Yeah, there's a couple of paragraphs like setting setting it up. Um, before we get there but there's really nothing in it it's just like how they're prepping um the only thing that i wanted to uh was wanted to pull out was the last line in it where he says that um in retrospect maybe taking a fully armed party of six into complete a level two quest was tempting the narrative a bit too much Mm -hmm. and to me it's just like you know like a damned if you do damned if you don't thing like that's almost not fair like in the games i play you can save an early quest and go do it later. And all that happens is that the enemies are leveled up. Like, so it kind of makes sense to, to armor up a bit extra, but it's still easy. You know, it's still a level two quest. It's just, you know, now it's, the enemies are a little stronger, but I, yeah, now, now they're in a situation where it's like, well, shit, if we overprepare, does that mean that we're asking the DM to throw like a big problem at us? I think that is what it means. Yes. So the only way for them to stay safe is to go there in, you know, jeans and a t-shirt alone like well, but that also they, is tempting fate there's just no way to win <laughs> yeah that that that's the sucky part about being the protagonist in a narrative you're gonna get shit on and have to have a uh, conflicts yeah yep 
Mm, hard I time. Mean, you show up with someone who has the ability to basically mind read you based on facial expressions and vocal cues and stuff. And what do you get? An opponent who is completely unreadable because of his Elon Gar training. I liked how he said that was like their most overpowered thing. And I'm like, dude, they don't have to sleep and they can commit everything to memory. This is just their most annoying power to you right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. He did mention that there's uh, an excluded mirror dimension on Erb. And I think it's going to be awesome if that mirror dimension had everybody in goatees. The darkest timeline. uh, Well, I mean, just mirror dimensions in general. Always the evil twin has a goatee. I'm picturing the I guess it wasn't called the mirror dimension on um, community. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But I, it yeah, was a dark so, time. Yeah, it originally that, came from uh, the original Star Trek episode where there was a mirror dimension, but uh, the Spock in the mirror dimension was evil and had a goatee. I can dig it. When I think mirror dimension, I think Doctor Strange. So okay, there's there's no goatees in the, well. He literally has a goatee. He has but, one. Yeah, uh, he's the good he doesn't guy. Have like a double goatee when he's evil. Oh, oh would maybe his, there's would a his good mirror dimension Strange that's clean shaven. Yeah, would his, would his bizarre one have be clean shaven? Yeah, and actually not be a douchebag. <laughs> he he gets some character growth especially through the through the movies you know a bit through that one but it's mm-hmm. more later on i like how you already know he's a douchebag even though you haven't seen the movie because you've probably seen the honest trailer and it's 100 percent accurate yes <laughs> it's it's iron man with magic but yeah it's visually stunning magic and it's fun so you should watch it i'm planning to at some point do exactly that when i'm not recording fucking four hour podcasts huzzah <laughs> yes they do have this. They have this little bit of uh, thing where um, June was like, "You didn't ask me what year it was or something on Earth." And um, well, she's like, "I did eventually." And yeah. it, the thing is, like, it's only sensible to collect data about whatever. In this case, the Dream Skewered or something. Like, you only ask real questions that you care about once you grant the absurd premise that their shared delusion actually relates to a, a real place, right? Right. But if if someone just came up to you and be like, "I'm from I'm from the planet." Gleep Glorp, and I can see I can see the world through crystals or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you just cross the street, right? Uh, <laughs> You're like, oh, what year is it on Gleep Glorp? Ex- exactly. Yeah. But if if you run into, I don't know, if if suddenly one in ten thousand people started acting that way, um, then you're like, okay, we maybe should ask them. Uh, yeah. 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 So there's they're taking as they're taking the ferry up to the um, Athenaeum. They're talking about the actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf game a bit. And uh, they, they're kind of surprised that torturing characters was fun for them. And June says, okay, well, the, the, the purpose wasn't to torture the game characters. And then he says, well, okay, I guess it was to torture them as a joke, but that's totally different. And Greg says, will it be funny if the cannibal kills us? <laughs> and June says, not to me, but from a certain point of view, Yeah. <laughs> And I think it's kind of messed up that horror comedy is a thing in the real world, but it really is. And I also kind of love it. I agree. I could uh, go on about horror comedy in general for a minute, but I'll spare everybody. But I did laugh out loud when I saw that and I showed it to my wife just because it's hilarious. I explained the context and showed her that and she laughed too. Maybe she was just doing it out of of politeness because I don't know how like to fully explain the context succinctly, but um, Mm. she, she like... Hey, if he shows up and kills us, will that be funny? Like, it seems like a genuine <laughs> question. It's like, well, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then they're asking, like, well, what is he from? It's like, I don't know, Transformers and Wait, 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 wait. Before we do that, I, I did want to one last thing say that um it, 
I because this is such a meta story and I keep reading it in meta ways, I also it occurred to me that um the purpose of um not uh, not nothing that's a clue. Well also the purpose of nothing is a clue, but specifically the purpose of worth the candle isn't to torture the characters. It's not there to make, you know, Grack suicidal and June suicidal and then have a terrible life, but um that that does happen incidentally anyway, uh, for our entertainment. And so, you know, I I just I always whenever they talk about other stories in the game, I think about how it relates back to Worth the Candle as well. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, w- was it it wasn't funny, that wasn't the point, but it was it was there like when Grack got, you know, soul attacked by Folliter, right? Um, yeah. you know, was it was it funny? I, I'm sure we could think of things that were, you know, funny, not funny. But yeah, I I like how See, this is the thing I always forget to do when I'm reading this. I'm glad that you are able to somehow stand in both places at once, like reading the story as a story and then simultaneously be one step back from that and reading it as a meta narrative. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank uh, you. Yes. Yes. yeah I, I can't do that. I, I'm trying once in a while. I'll get like one, but it seems to be once every two months. Um, oh, yeah. So they were he was saying like what what, what he's in. And so they're saying, okay, look, no more IMDb, no more uh, movies for now or whatever. And I just, as a, as a joke, I, he's, I had to pull out cause he says, oh shit, don't watch the fourth Indiana Jones movie. Mm. And I said, this is good advice, whether or not you're worried about being ripped apart by Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> yep. Um, the, uh, not too soon. Amaryllis, not Amaryllis, Solus. God damn. Uh, Solus points out that she likes that it became easier after she died and was reborn to be able to double think about things and like have certain thoughts that must not be thought and have certain subjects that must be danced around. And it was harder when she was younger. And now those old pieces of her been stripped away and it's much easier for her to do that kind of thing. And I just found that really creepy. Like I feel some greater distance between me and Solus now because the happiness at being able to, just mind fuck herself into not thinking things is super creepy to me i can sabotage my own thinking ability on the fly and that is so great i'm like what the fuck it's i see the distinction and yet this is coming from the guy who's a huge fan of soul fucking oneself so if if you're doing it on purpose that's one thing but if you train it to be a habit that's another thing no, it's not that it's on purpose or on habit. It's that when you're soul fucking, you're you know what you're doing. You're doing it with eyes open, and I guess it's the informed part again. Whereas you, she's literally sabotaging the ability of herself to become informed on things, to think about things, to have a coherent mind. That's that's what like really throws me off. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think to be clear, I think what she uh, was enjoying wasn't that she's like you know, really, really good at double think again. She enjoys seeing how other people struggle with it. Mm. Like, so to her, she's like, this is funny because I, I do this all the time. You guys are trying to ruin my ability to do magic by talking about, you know, why it's impossible to fly or whatever. Right. And I'm able to compartmentalize away those thoughts and I do it, yes. uh, whatever intuitively and watching you guys freak out, trying to do it for hours is just kind of funny. I think that's the part that was when she had said, I, oh, enjoying yeah, it. That's I, what it was. Yeah. I think that having having positive emotions about the ability to compartmentalize like that, uh, to be proud of that is a scary thing for me. Yeah, I hear you. I I don't share her values, um, but if I did, 
I would get it right. Um, she she's she's a weird alien mind, and she's doing what she do best. You know, I, I I'm not going to fault her for it. Uh, I did Fair like enough. when when she says that the pieces of the old me have been cleaned from my soul, and Amarillo says, "I wish you wouldn't talk like that." And Solo says, "With happiness, you're a very good mother to be worried about me so." And I'm like, "Aw, no, that was sweet." Yeah. Okay. Um. They they do walk into the um Athenaeum, which looks <laughs> very much like a giant uh prison trap thing. And Fen says, "I want it on record that this is the most obvious trap in the world." And I just wanted to point out to you that look, Fen can be practical too. It's not just Amaryllis. She knows it's a giant trap. Yeah. It's it's sure. Well. Is it a giant trap? Uh, well, I mean, I guess not, but it really looked like it. So she was wrong, but she was practical in her wrongness. Yeah, June June remarks that it doesn't look like... Uh, where's the phrasing? Because it's really funny. Um, it didn't look like an evil layer of evil. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, good evil layers of evil look as evil as they are. Great evil layers of evil look like gingerbread houses. Which are actually also evil layers of evil. Right, th- those are the those are the really great ones. So, oh, like, oh, oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so this might be a great evil layer of evil because it doesn't look like an evil layer of evil. Yeah, right. Yeah, a, 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 a modest evil layer of evil looks like whatever, uh, like a secret volcano layer, right? Yeah, with a skull carved into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still want one. Yeah, me too. But um, temperate. The, the what? It would be temperate all the time. Yeah. But the, that's the air conditioning bill, though. <laughs> um, they walk in, they trip a protocol by asking for somebody, and Valencia can tell because she's got the awesome devil sight. And as soon as she said, we just tripped a protocol, I had like a foreboding sense of doom. I was like, oh, shit, something's going to happen. You know, it's interesting. I It struck me as just pure bureaucracy. Like, yeah, if someone comes up asking about the dream skewered, we send them this person, right? Like mm. some, you know, if I go to the DMV, the protocol is they ask for my, whatever, two forms of ID and my birth, you know, whatever, some, something, whatever purpose I'm there for. Right. Yeah. But protocols to me, you know, can often just be benign and routine and boring. Um, I didn't feel threatened here yet, but obviously this was going to be something significant. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be a trap, if it was going to be a huge revelation or what, but some, you know, this wasn't going to be just like, Okay, thanks. We'll see you later. Glad, you know. And then they wave him goodbye saying, thanks for telling us about this danger. We'll be careful, right? Maybe I just have a very different um, association with the word protocol. To me, it always sounds like government, FBI, men in black sort of thing. It does. I guess I'm not sure what contexts people use protocol in that aren't super serious. I mean, I use them all the time like at, at work, you know, if this, then that. Um, yeah, for programming is full of protocols yeah not not just like the actual programming stuff but like if so, it, you know like i wrote like a lot of documentation and um if this thing's broken check this out if if that doesn't work look here whatever right um mm-hmm. so that that is the 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 protocol if you get this alert on your phone um but yeah i should just saying though um yeah. this was a fun thing so they're meeting with i think the guy's name is masters and he says, we have a conference room available for consultations with the afflicted and their families. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, dude, that hadn't even occurred to me. Like the two dream skewered we knew so far were both, and this is before I knew the bombshell, um, mm-hmm. were completely isolated, right? Arthur's whole family yeah. was killed. June woke up on an airplane with a bunch of strangers. And so 
Just imagine waking up to your spouse one morning only to discover that they had no memories of their past lives and are babbling about earth. Yeah. So like, of course yeah. they would have like, you know, a consultation room where it's like, yes, this is just the body of the person you used to know. They've been, their mind is ruined. No, we've never recovered anybody. That sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. That'd be such That's, a bummer. It would. Meanwhile, the person that like, you know, you used to be married to or whatever is sitting over there crying because they're missing their actual spouse from earth. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're they're confused at why you're, why you're trying to be so familiar with them. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, dear. Kind of glad that this you know shook out the way it did, but we'll see if I share that sentiment later. Um, yeah. So the where I can't remember the exact setup here. They're they're talking with the guy, and he's like, "Okay, look, you know, we need to figure out, you know, we need to screen you guys. Um, there are different presentations of the phenomena, and I think June just jumps the gun. And he's like, "Okay, look, I'm Dream Skewered," and mm-hmm. the guy says okay, then it's all the more important that I screen you. And he's like, looking for what? And he's like, well, the different presentations. And and he's like, wait, my power? That would be unexpected, but not wholly unanticipated. Mm-hmm. And I pulled that out because I didn't believe for a second that other people had the power like June had it. Um, okay. Except for except for Uther. Because if you did, you get to be Uther level. You know, it, yeah. the, the reason that I grabbed this, because when I was reading through it, I read this really slow because it was clearly building to something. Um, and I was thinking, okay, well, if they find somebody who, you know, if they do confirm that they have whatever, a an Uther-like power, they must just kill them. Because, you know, because they talked like there were these dormitories with a wall around them outside. But I'm like, that wouldn't stop them, right? Yeah. You you, you do push-ups, you do jumping jacks, whatever. And then you get well, athletics up nine... until you can do a backflip over the wall. Um, one of the reasons Sven said this is the most obvious trap ever is because Grax said that along the top floor, there was annihilation wards against like blood and skin and stuff. Oh yeah. So like unless I guess you had some way to get around wards. Yeah. I mean they could have kept them up there, but then it kind of makes you why why makes you wonder why they'd bother. Like mm-hmm. I think that if my my thought at the time was like maybe they just kill the ones at the game layer, right? Yeah. Cause we don't want any rogue Uthers running around. I mean that would make sense. That that would be like you don't want rogue Superman. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance you could get a good Superman, but there's a Good chance he won't. So let's not risk it. Yep, exactly. Um, another thing that that jumped out at me was so he gets handed this this entad that will like glow. I think blue. It glows like four different colors. If you personally know the thing, if you secondhand know it, um, if you forgot it, or if you don't know about it. And June says the entad wasn't something that I had designed, but it had that familiarity to it, like it was something that I would design. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this, that's, that screams clue to me. My odds of DM is future June just increased. Nice. Yeah. I'm not sure what number I'd put at it yet, but it's higher than it was. Yeah. So he goes off listing names and places like England, United States, and um, then Elon Musk, Justin Bieber. And June remarks to himself, like how weird it was to hear these names coming from an Airbnb, you know, person in, you know, wearing armor at a conference table. And Mm -hmm the dissonance there was was there with me too it was fun um cool like man why like you know again john fitzgerald kennedy richard nixon and i'm like this is so weird because like yeah we know all these places if if you saw like you're watching the lord of the rings movie and gimli and fucking aragorn start talking about elon musk yeah it's it's just and if you're frodo in there and you're like okay i know these things but it's weird that you guys know them yeah um Mm -hmm. Anyway, then the bombshell. Uh, so nice. there, there's like a, it's a long paragraph of, you know, these kind of questions, finding Dory, Zootopia, whatever. Um, 
And so then it is its own paragraph, Arthur Bloom, and the ball lit up mm. a bright green. And so I, I stopped there for like 10 minutes to try and come up with a couple of ideas. So I don't know if you remember your first thoughts on this or if you like, because the thing is, it's not that I, I'm like just in my day-to-day life overflowing with self-control. I, yeah. I, I do that for this, for the explicit purpose of like deliberately teasing it out. You know, it's like edging. I'm- yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that there was there was a reason I wanted to end on this chapter. Yes, you nailed <laughs> because, it. Uh huh. I knew that you were really going to want to think about this, and you know, I didn't want to just give you the out of going to the next chapter, which is what I did. So, like, I when because you asked, do I remember what I my reaction? My reaction was like, I read Arthur Bloom, and I was like, oh, holy, f- what? Fuck, flip the page, keep going, read the next chapter. <laughs> so, so no, I, I had nothing, no insight to give you right here. No, that's, that makes sense because that's, that's what I was inclined to do. Mm-hmm. Um, my first thought was that maybe every Dream Skewered had June's memories um, or maybe at oh. least a small subset of them. Yeah. And so maybe there were a thousand Dream Skewered and they've had a dozen that knew Arthur or something, right? They were all June. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dude, maybe, and that's why the DM has the uh, the tree magic in there because he's run tried to run Council of Archers games before that had those. Could be that that could explain quite a lot. It it might. I that that went down with the next piece of evidence we get in this chapter. But also, I did stop for a full ten minutes at least and like just I don't know do some busy work. I don't know, brush my teeth or something, and thought about it. And I wanted to think of at least one other guess. And so I was like, okay, maybe Juniper Smith, Juniper Smith, friend of Arthur Bloom, is the prophesied hero to come to Arab. Or oh. like maybe all of his friends were dream skewered here at some point after all. Um, mm-hmm. That was my my thought. And then uh, he goes off and lists the other friends. And then he's, he says, and you already said your name is Juniper Smith. And so I'm assuming June was also on the list. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, so where'd that list come from? And it came from Uther Pendrag, the Lost King. Mm-hmm. And so I give myself half credit on the prophecy guess. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's basically a prophecy when Uther says that it's going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, hey, look, the Lost King gave us this list. If someone ever comes through here and knows these names, we need to give them this magic item or something. Yeah. You know, we have exactly. a protocol, as one might say forebodingly, for what to do mm-hmm. in such a, should such a circumstance arise. Mm-hmm. It was so so fantastic and um and at the very end it ends with you know what i only pulled out the last line let me open this up because i need to get a little bit of pre-context as to why this came up there really isn't Uh, june's just thinking through a nonsensical idea that like there'd be historical distribution of people that like might have recognized like through the last century like hitler um but that wouldn't explain why arthur who came here nine months ago was 500 years ago in Arab time. Why would people Mm -hmm. who came subsequently have been distributed around a bell curve of like other parts of earth's history? Um, so that didn't make any sense to me, but while June is thinking Valencia interrupts him because Valencia has a devil insider and she can kind of put things together, maybe even getting cues from, uh, from the dude as well. Uh, Valencia says there are no other dream skewered or there are no dream skewered. Yeah, this isn't a dream skewer. is not a real thing. Yeah. Masters hesitates, then nods. Um, and then quest complete. The name of the beast. I guess some problems just solve themselves, <laughs> which <laughs> it's nice at the end to throw him a, f- a free XP point like that. Um, yeah. And sense of humor. I'm glad it's back. 
so I, I get why Griffin was pushing for us to read the next chapter, but I, I get the, uh, I think we're all talking over each other on the retro episode, but I said, look, you know, the, the pilot has, or the captain has charted a course for us and I trust he knows where he's going. And, uh, I think granted I was, like I said, you know, on the edge of my seat. Um, but this was awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't really know. So like, I, I had some random thoughts about, you know, Shia LaBeouf or whatever, but like, Oh yeah, that's still a thing, but no one's going to say the name on accident. Um, yeah. Really makes you wonder how like the name was discovered in the first place. Unless Uther mentioned it. Oh, cause like those aren't syllables that you would just happen across. No. And if you did happen across them, you would then be murdered. Yeah. So how would you tell anyone else? That's a good question. Maybe if they ever do get around to uh, killing him, they can interrogate him first. Yes. I do know how they'll have to kill him, though. Oh, how? Well, they'll have to cut his head off. Oh, oh, okay. Because of the song. Because of the song, yeah. Yeah. And I suspect Val will be integral to the fight because she knows jujitsu. Ah, uh, yes. So. <laughs> that, that's. It's <laughs> such a fun song. It's the best. Anyway, the the bombshell here. This is awesome. This is a centuries-long deception that was set up without any leaks. Yeah. Um, this increases my suspicion because we talked before about, like, did he tell his companions? Um, and you were like, no, nah, probably not because it would have gotten out. I'm like, I don't know, man. If th- This is, like, moon landing hoax level conspiracy here. And mm-hmm. they managed to keep this going for 500 fucking years, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I suspect that there's some binding, some magic that you can do to make a binding promise. Um, oh, and that'll last for 500 years. And since the Elon Gar lived so damn long, or not Elon Gar, whatever. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. I figured that it would just be, I guess, I don't know, maybe there's, maybe Uther made the initial promise or something. Maybe every time they induct somebody into, into learning about the Dream Skewer, they have to take the same promise. Um, oh okay that would also work yeah but we'll see but the um like it's just awesome because amaryllis Amaryllis had a passing knowledge of earth when she met june which means that everything in the air domain of knowledge about earth was that was allowed to trickle out came from uther directly yeah so like when she first meets them she's like yeah no i've heard of it seven continents cold on the top and bottom and he's like yeah that's the place (laughs) like um so this isn't like the way Amaryllis edu- was educated about it was like, yeah, there's like a thousand people who've had this and they all have the same thing about it. And that is just what it is. They, they all end up at this place, you know, if they want to whatever. And all that was ex- exceedingly plausible. Um, mm-hmm. And no, it turns out that this was all a very, very carefully crafted conspiracy by Uther for, I don't know. For a purpose that we will hopefully discover soon. We'd better find out soon. <laughs> I mean, so I, what I'm, what I really want to know is like, what do the people at the Athenaeum believe about earth? Like, or, or like, why do they, why do they think Uther told them this or set, set this all up? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do they think that Uther was actually from earth and they're like, they're the only ones who actually know that for sure. Um, or I don't know. So there's that part of it. But the main thing is like, how did Arthur know, or at least strongly suspect that another earthling from his high school would show up on air. Yeah. So I'm excited. Right. I mean, I'm I'm staying silent right now because I, I don't want to say things that are coming up, especially, you know, yeah, I, 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 sorry, I cannot help you. No, no, of course. Yeah. I I don't expect feedback on this. I mean, other than, uh, because again, you presumably hopefully know the answers to these questions and I'm just throwing them out there as like, these are my thoughts on this because I had nothing to do but think about this for a few days. So they are excellent thoughts. Yeah. 
Well, I well, thank you. I was going to say the other thing yeah. I've been doing is reading Mother of Learning. I'm not following the podcast. I'm skipping ahead. Sorry, everybody. One day, huh. well, I'm starting my job on Friday. Maybe I'll uh, I'll slow down then. So yeah, I'm so behind on Mother of Learning now. I'm feeling bad. I just like yeah, I, I get less done than I used to nowadays, and it sucks. And if we just average out where we're at, we'll be probably right where we're supposed to be. So it works. There we go. <laughs> That's how things work, right? Right, yeah. Together we make one functioning awesome human between us. <laughs> uh, well, where... I can't think of a way to segue this. We've been at this for a while, people. So yeah. if we um, if we were one functioning person, how we would be able to coordinate this perfectly. But uh, without a good segue, what do we talk about next week, bud? Next week, we will again remind the people that they can talk to um, they can support Alexander Wales and us on our Patreons, and you can find the links to that at our website, which is um, Jesus HPMORpodcast.com. Uh, and uh, we appreciate it very much. Thank you all. You can also um, rate and review us on whatever podcast system you use, which uh, we would also appreciate because it helps more people find it. But the thing we're going to be talking most about next week is the next four chapters. And those are 109 through 112. 109, The Veil of the World. 110, Bubblegum. 111, Pure Pressure. And 112, Egress. Hmm. The Veil of the World sounds like we're about... I wonder if... That that can't be going back to Earth, but if there was ever a time we're going to do that, this would be it. Um, it could be the explanation of how this works, which would be tight. That sounds like the kind of thing I'd get from Veil of the World. Bubblegum, it's a throwaway joke title, or it relates to something in a in a nonchalant way, or they went back to Earth and he's enjoying some gum. Um <laughs> Peer pressure. I got nothing. Um, he goes back to Earth and is pressured by his Earth peers. That's right. And egress is like an exit point, right? Yes. So maybe that is the dream of the world or the veil of the world. Or oh, okay, interesting. Hey, egress from Earth and go back to Arab. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, only one way to find out, folks. We need to read those chapters. So exactly. c- come yell at us on Discord. Um, chat with the other people who chat about the, the story. Thanks for listening. And big shout out again to Alexander Wales. Thank you for writing this. This is your game. We're just having a lot of fun playing it for three and a half hours. Hell yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>